When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, my friends. Doug Maurice, late Tuesday night. We are going to get into football and basketball in this edition of Buckeye Talk. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Stephen underscore means at Doug Maurice at Buckeye Talk Pod. Always email us at Buckeye Talk Pod at gmail.com. Um, been getting some emails um, back out to some of the Gmail um, people this week. We're going to revisit some of the older questions in there that are really good that we didn't get to earlier um, this year. Um, but I just want to say thanks to all you guys who reach out there. That's really valuable and we appreciate that. Always thanks to our friends on Twitter who reach out. Um, and we're going to have a, a lead subject this week that I just was going through this and it's from our friend Chris McCormick on Twitter at edu chris 5 and his question is, who are the top 10 most important players this season? And gosh, it's such a good question. Like, I just made my list of 10, and we're going to count them down. And, like, my list is crazy. I can't believe what my list is. And I don't think you guys are going to agree with it. And there's a position group that is not in the top 10 that is, like, the number one position group that we're going to talk about. But I don't know who to put in the top 10 from that position group, which makes it so interesting because I don't know. I think a year ago, like, you would have put Dwayne Haskins and Nick Bosa would have been so high on the list of one and two um, above everybody else. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that they have somebody like that this year because guess what? Justin Fields is not number one on my list. So we're going to get to that question for a kickoff. And our friend uh, on Twitter, Nuckbutts, had requested – he said, uh, mixed basketball and football podcasts make me die a little inside. So we understand there are some of you who really like football. There are some of you who are also very interested in basketball, some less interested in basketball. So this is how this is going to go. I'm going to do about half an hour, maybe 20 minutes, 20 minutes to half an hour on the top 10 most important players for the season. Then Stephen and I have had a discussion. We talked about for about 15 minutes about Tate Martell and his 
uh, transfer to Miami that was approved. He does not have to sit out a year. His waiver was approved. We talked about that, and then we broke down the basketball team and the the Buckeyes' first-round matchup with Iowa State on Friday in the NCAA tournament. We did that for about 50 minutes. And then I'm going, to get, I'm going to get back at the end to some other football questions, okay? So it's going to be about half an hour of the top 10 most important players, 15 minutes on Tate, 50 minutes on basketball, and then back at the end for about the last, I don't know, what's that, like half hour or so on more football questions. But first, there is actually something really important that I need to talk to you guys about first. Um, and I'm coming to you guys for this for two reasons. One is because... I think it's something that some of you are going to be interested in, and it's going to be worthwhile for you. I think you're going to enjoy it, and it is we're asking you guys to pay for something. And we haven't really gone down that road at Cleveland.com before. Um, we've had sponsors on this podcast. We've asked you to maybe support our sponsors, which helps us. And you guys were great about that, and we're so appreciative of that. And we're appreciative of our, of our sponsors from last season. We hope to have them back or have some other sponsors coming up. But this is a new endeavor, and I'm going to break this down, and I hope your ears are perked up a little bit because it's not much money. It's $3.99 a month. And what is the situation is I don't have any friends. I am kind of a jerk. I'm kind of a lone wolf. Um, I'm not a social person. Um, I like to hear myself talk. I'm off-putting. And so the company – Cleveland.com and the Advanced Corporation has gone out of its way to introduce a program that I like to call Buy Doug Some Friends. But it's actually not Buy Doug from Friends. It's Get Doug's Friends uh, to Pay Him Money. It's actually not that, but it kind of is that. We're starting a program where we're starting basically a text chain. We're starting a text group where I am going to send out one or two texts a day not guaranteed a text every day in the off season. Probably maybe more than one or two a day at the the most interesting parts in season. And these texts are going to be little bits of analysis, little bits of information. Um, they're going to be like a text. It's going to pop up in your phone as a text, and it's going to be me telling you stuff that I feel like it's going to be like Buckeye talk in your phone every day. And if you don't. I, if you listen to this, you enjoy listening to our to a two hour podcast, or you you don't enjoy it, but you put yourself through it anyway. But it's going to be an alternative to that. It's going to be the same kind of stuff. It's going to be. It's not going to be like secrets, okay? Because it's not going to be anything that I wouldn't say otherwise. It's not going to be anything I wouldn't report otherwise. It's just maybe I didn't have time to report it. It didn't fit in something. Um, it's just a nugget. It's a piece of analysis. I'm going to save some stuff back, something that maybe I would have written in a notes column before, something I might have tweeted before. I'm now going to hold back and save for my new text friends, okay? And this is going to cost $3.99 a month to get this from me. Our company is starting this here in Cleveland. It is a company-wide initiative that we're trying. And why are we trying it? Because... Digital media companies have to try something. You guys may be aware, may not be aware that we're having layoffs at our sister company, The Plain Dealer. Again, it's kind of a complicated thing. 
Cleveland.com and the Cleveland Plain Dealer are obviously associated. My work appears in the Plain Dealer, although I am employed on the digital side. My priority is Cleveland.com. We're all connected, but we're not the same thing. Cleveland.com is going through layoffs right now. It stinks for the people there. <coughs> it is a reality of the journalism business. So another reality is we're trying to make money. And so we're trying to provide value to our content. And this podcast has been free from the get-go. Um, our content has been free from the get-go. This is the first thing that we're trying that's something to pay for, for content. And I don't mean to make this ad too long, but I want to get you guys interested in this. Because this is the audience. This is my core audience. You, if you're listening to this right now, you are my core audience. I don't know why you've chose to be that. But you are. You're still here and you're listening to this. So I think it's possible that you might be interested in getting a couple texts a day from me. And this is going to be about Ohio State football. Okay. I might branch out into some other stuff, mostly Browns, if there's interest. But for now, it's going to be Ohio State football focused and related. And for instance, last week, I talked to Ryan Day in his office for an hour. I have a bunch of stories from that that I'm going to write. I haven't written anything about it yet. But if we had started this text thing last week, I would have been texting you about what happened in that office. I would have been texting you about what I saw in that office. I would have been texting you about conversations Ryan Day and I had that may not exactly fit in a story but are of interest to you. If I, if I light up Greg Madison in a press conference, I'm going to text you about it before I even write about it. When I go interview Justin Fields... I'm going to text you about Justin Fields things that aren't necessarily going to be in a story. Because, of course, I'm going to write a story about Justin Fields. But I always have more. I have more than I can write. And this is what you're going to get. You're going to get my analysis, my insight, some information. You know. You know what I do. You're going to get that a couple times a day. It's going to appear in your phone like a text message. It's $3.99 a month. And this is how you can do it, okay? You can sign up. Gosh, Doug, you'd think you maybe have the, the sign up a little more uh, prepared than I do. But what you can do is go to cleveland.com slash Doug LeMaurice. D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. -E -E I hope I'm not boring you guys with this, but I've got to get this information out there because this is the kind of thing that's going to maybe help cleveland.com Try to continue to do what we do, okay? Try to be better. Try to, try to stick around. Try to keep people employed. Try to not have to face what so many media companies have faced. We've got to find new innovative ways to make money off what we do. And I'm super excited that for coming up, this is our fifth year. We started this in the 2015 season, this podcast. And I heard from somebody on Gmail that we're going to get to later in the podcast who said they were one of the original couple hundred listeners from the bad podcast back in the day when we called it the bad podcast for Bill Ari Doug, which is the worst name ever before it was Buckeye Talk. We've been free from the get-go and we've just been talking and I could not be more appreciative of you guys for that. So I'm not like asking you to subscribe is like a favor. I'm asking you to consider it because I think there's value for it. I think there's value if you care about Ohio State. And if you like this podcast and you want a little bit more, you kind of want it on a daily basis, popping in here and there, this is what this is going to be. Cleveland.com slash 
D-O-U-G-L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. You go there. The whole screen, and it's me wearing a shirt that I no longer own. It's a light blue and pink striped shirt. My T-shirt is visible underneath it. I had a, they, they took a headshot on a day when I was not prepared for a headshot. And it's what I've been using for five years. You go there. You put in your mobile phone number. You put in your credit card number. And then I'm going to start the texts on Wednesday at Pro Day. Okay, that's going to be the first one. If you're signed up, you'll get the first one. If you're not signed up yet, once you sign up, you'll get the ones after that. Okay, we're going to try it. I think it's going to be really good. The company's really excited about it. There's no guarantees about anything, but we think there is a loyal Ohio State audience, and we think that hopefully you guys believe that I can provide some value for you that coming into your phone on a regular basis with Ohio State information and analysis kind of the way that I do it is going to be a value to do. So I'm sorry this took so long, but I wouldn't take so long if it wasn't important. And I feel bad taking up 12 minutes of a podcast, but it's a 12-minute slice after four and a half years of, of doing this for you guys where we've never had anyone pay for anything. And we've got to try something, okay? It's Buckeye Talk with Doug on your phone. It sh- you sign up for this and it's just going to show up as a text message whenever I send it out. I'm not going to send it out crazy early in the morning. I'm not going to send it out crazy late at night. There is an opportunity that you can reply to the text message. Maybe I'll get back to you, but we're thinking if we get a lot of people, I'm not going to be able to like text back with hundreds of people a day. And I hope maybe we get hundreds of you guys doing this. But I'm going to try to be as interactive as I possibly can. I'm going to give you the absolute best analysis um, and, and thoughts on the football team you care about, plus the access that we have, the information that we have. I'm going to do the very, very best I can. And I am grateful to you guys for listening to this. If you just go to cleveland.com slash Doug Maurice and look at it, see what you think. Maybe try it for a month. If you don't think it's worth it, then don't renew, right? I hope I can make it worth it for you, and I'm so grateful to, for you guys for listening to this. That went on too long, but it's that important. That's where we are in the digital media world. It's that important that when we're talking about new revenue streams and trying new things, it's that important because this is how we stick around is by making some of this stuff work because the same old thing um, doesn't work. It's been proven. We've got to try new stuff. And so um, I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep writing a lot about Ohio State. I'm going to keep writing a lot about the Browns. We're going to keep doing this podcast, but now this is another new extra thing that we're going to try. Cleveland.com slash Doug Maurice. We're also doing it on the Browns with Mary Kay Cabot, on the Cavs with Chris Fedor, on the Indians with Paul Hoynes. You can go find all these things on Cleveland.com. There's an opportunity there, but mostly I care about myself, so do me first. Okay. Love you guys. Top 10, Chris McCormick. Get him a text string. This guy's bringing it. Chris McCormick, EDU Chris. Who are the top 10 most important players this season? Here's my list, counting down from number 10 to number 1. And I, I am completely um, unconfident. Disconfident? Inconfident? <coughs> Deconfident? Non-confident? I don't know if I believe in this list, but I'm going to try it. My number 10 is Tyreek Smith, and I will explain that. Number 10 is the number two guy who can get pressure. 
So the number one guy that can get pressure is going to be pretty high on this list. This is the Draymond Jones role to Nick Bosa last year, what we thought Draymond Jones was going to be. Draymond Jones ended up being a guy who had to bring a lot of pressure himself. But Trace Young and Draymond Jones last year were supposed to be able to supplement, to make Nick Bosa better, to allow Nick Bosa to make them better. Because when you have multiple guys who can bring pressure on the defensive line, that changes everything. Who is that second guy? I don't know that Tyreek Smith's going to start. I don't think he's a starter. I think Jonathan Cooper's the starter at end opposite Chase Young. But I think Tyreek Smith might have the best chance as the third defensive end on third down to be the guy, the second guy to bring pressure. Could it be an interior lineman? Could it be Robert Landers or Davon Hamilton or Tommy Togiai or Teron Vincent? I love Teron Vincent. Maybe, but I'm going to bet on Tyreek Smith right now. And I think second, the second guy to be a threat to sack the quarterback I think that's Tyreek Smith. That's why he's number 10 on my list. Number nine is Austin Mack. Austin Mack is a senior who, as we've said before, is still to me in my head is more potential than production. He was having a pretty good last year, uh, year last year, and he got hurt. If he becomes the guy, right? If he becomes a guy, I think the difference between like okay Austin Mack and all Big Ten Austin Mack is a huge difference for this offense. There are two receivers on this list who I have above Austin Mack. But we've talked about what's more important for Justin Fields, weapons or offensive line. I think it's weapons. So I'm going weapons heavy offensively on this list because I think that really matters. So number nine is Austin Mack because I think I think Austin Mack, if healthy, is going to be good. But if he can become an all-conference level player, and I believe he has that ability – I think that is a takes this offense to another level. Number eight is KJ Hill. We talked uh, last week about how important it was that he came back, what the world would look like at H back if he wasn't here. Um, I think it's really important that he is here. He just has to be himself. He's not a game breaker, he's very reliable. He catches balls on third down. He catches touchdowns. He can break things sometimes. He's their best guy in the middle of the field. <clears throat> and there's just so there's just such a lack of experience behind him. All the reason in the world to be excited about Jalen Gill, but there's such a lack of experience behind him. I think you are assuming that KJ Hill is gonna be KJ Hill, but like he has to be that. And so all of a sudden, if KJ Hill was injured or all of a sudden his production came off, dropped off for some reason, I think that would have an effect on this offense. And so where with Austin Mack and Tyreek Smith on this list, I think the difference is can they be something they haven't been yet? The diff- KJ Hill just has to be who he is. But I think if for some reason he wasn't himself, this team would feel that. That's why he's number eight on my list. Number seven is J.K. Dobbins. Again, this is the Chris McCormick list of 10 most important players. Gosh, that's a good question. That's the thing with this text chain. If you guys, I'm going to have you guys ask me some questions in there too. And if you guys ask a great question, that's going to spur a great discussion. Now, the thing is, you're not going to get like all the texts from all the other people in the group, right? You're not, your phone's not going to be dinging all day with texts. Um, you will text back to me. I will get that. And then I can either respond to you individually or I can respond to the whole group and say, hey, Chris McCormick just asked this great question. We're going to talk about this for the next couple days. That kind of thing. It's called Project Text, by the way. 
cleveland.com slash Doug Uh Number seven is J.K. Dobbins. He, I think there's a drop-off. and we're, Some people ask these questions and we'll get to in the back half of the podcast. There's just a drop-off between what he is and what the next running back is. Brian Sneed's gone. It's Master Teague or, or Marcus Crowley. I mean, that's a lot of – and we know J.K. Dobbins. one of those things. Well, J.K. Dobbins was great as a true freshman. Yeah, I agree. Like, are you just going to assume that if something happened to J.K. Dobbins, the next guy would be, you know, Master Teague in his second year and Marcus Crowley in the first year would be that good? Huh? Like, J.K. Dobbins, we heard J.K. Dobbins coming in camp freshman year in a way that you don't usually hear freshman coming. You guys remember the discussion. We were talking about, man, remember when we heard Dontre Wilson coming? Remember when we've heard some freshmen coming before? But you don't – sometimes you hear a freshman coming and he isn't quite – he doesn't live up to the hype of camp or doesn't live up to the hype of, of getting there in the summer and doing seven-on-sevens and working out. But you don't, there's, you don't hear that hype about every single freshman. We felt that and heard that, and I still remember by the time we got to the season, I remember very distinctly like Landis and I were like, this is something. And we weren't exactly sure what J.K. Dobbins was going to be, and he came out that first game against Indiana when Mike Weber was hurt and went crazy and ran for 180 yards and got the ball 30 times. Um, you didn't know that was necessarily coming, but we can't live in a world where we assume Marcus Crowley or Master Teague could do that because what J.K. Dobbins did as a true freshman was extraordinary. And what he did as a sophomore was average. So now he part of this is what can he be? Can he be extraordinary again? But also it's just another world of think about if he was not here. And we're not, we're not going to injury jinx anybody. But you just think about the reality of take J.K. Dobbins off this team and where they'd be. And I don't like where they would be. Maybe Crowley and Teague. Crowley or Teague or both or some combination would be good. They, it's not like they wouldn't have a running back. They would have a guy who could get some yards. But I think there would be a drop-off. So J.K. Dobbins is number seven for me. Number six is Brendan White. And... This list is kind of weird. I kind of feel weird about this list. This is certainly not the 10 best players. And a lot of these uh, discussions, it's about how good are you compared to your backup? How good are you compared to the next guy up? How important is your position? And the thing with Brendan White is, I don't know what position he's going to be. Because I was thinking about putting Isaiah Pryor on this list, and I didn't. But if I put Isaiah Pryor on this list, that's the belief I'm putting to second safety next to Jordan Fuller on this list because we saw how important that position was a year ago. And that position has to be right. I didn't put Isaiah Pryor because if I put Isaiah Pryor, that to me is assuming, that's me assuming Brendan White's playing linebacker and he's not in that safety mix. Here's my other thing. I don't have another linebacker on this group. I didn't know who to put. So I put Brendan White at the moment. He's half linebacker, half safety. They're working him at this hybrid safety position that they're not exactly sure what they're going to do with it. They've got to find a way to get their best personnel on the field. You know what I'm talking about. We've talked about it. We're going to be talking about it all summer and all preseason camp. But whether Brendan White is at safety or at that hybrid linebacker spot, I think wherever he is, he's going to start. And so wherever he is, he's going to be important. So if he's back at that safety spot he was last year, you saw how important he was there. He changed their defense in the last month of the season by filling that role. If he's not at safety, 
That whoever is at that safety spot, you could maybe argue is in the top 10. But I'm going to assume it might be Brendan White still. If he's at linebacker, he's playing a new role in this defense. That's not groundbreaking, but it's different from the past at a position where they had issues last year at linebacker. He's going to be super important. So wherever Brendan White is on the field, I think we all can assume he's going to be one of the 11 defensive starters. And either position is going to be really important. I don't have any other linebackers on this list, and here's why. I was going to put Malik Harrison on, except Malik Harrison was good last year, and the linebackers were still bad. So, like, Malik Harrison, as a good player, could not on his own solve the linebacker situation last year. So that is not taking away from Malik Harrison. It's just saying, well, how can he be one of the ten most important players when – he played well last year, and his position group was a huge problem. He couldn't impact the team alone. So, like, I'm assuming he's going to be good. If we're doing a list of 10 best players, Malik Harrison's on that list. But I think it's the other linebackers who are going to determine how much better this unit is. But I didn't know who else to put on. I was tempted to put Baron Browning. You guys know what I think about Baron Browning. I wrote about him at the start of camp, and some people disagreed and thought I was crazy. I'm all in on Baron Browning. If Baron Browning plays like a five-star, that's a game-changer. Of course he's on this list. But I also think there's a world where Baron Browning does not play a gigantically prominent role, and they still have much improved linebacker play. So if you're going to tell me that the guys on the field most of the time at linebacker are Tuff Borland, Malik Harrison, and Brendan White, and the unit coached by Al Washington and Greg Madison instead of Bill Davis is taking a giant leap forward. Those players individually are getting credit for that. The coaching is better. Everything is better about the linebacker group, and they're vastly improved. And Baron Browning is not a huge part of that. I think that's possible, so I can't put him on the list then. I could have put Tuff Borland on the list. I also think it's possible that, like, Baron Browning plays more than tough ball. It's just too early. I could put middle linebacker. I think middle linebacker probably should be on this list. Chris, the genius who asked this question, asked 10 most important players. So I didn't know which guy to put. If you asked 10 most important positions, middle linebacker to me is very high. But for the moment, if I get a clear picture, when we get a clear picture of exactly how they're going to play the linebackers, and we'll have that by by the first game. Um, We'll revisit this, and then I bet you whoever looks like clearly the middle linebacker that's going to play the most, and maybe like if Borland is playing against in running situations and Baron Browning's playing against the pass, maybe it's a split. Then maybe neither makes it because they're splitting. But anyway, for the moment, I couldn't put either on. So I'm telling you, Brendan White's my only linebacker on this list for now, even though we all know how important linebacker is. God, this is a good question. Gosh, almighty. Number five is a crazy one. And I will tell you, it is my only offensive lineman. And let's see if you can guess on your treadmill or in your car um, or wherever you are, who I'm going to say. Nope. Nope. Josh Myers. Josh Myers is going to be the center. They have a plan. They have this has um, this has been in the pipeline. 
he was going to be the center this year no matter what. If Michael Jordan had returned, Michael Jordan was going back to guard. Michael Jordan did not return, um, so they got to find someone else at guard. But Josh Myers is going to be the center. I could say Wyatt Davis, except I think Wyatt Davis is going to be good. And I think Wyatt Davis being good at right guard is really important. But I don't know that he can change the line at right guard. I think Thayer Munford at left tackle is obviously important, right? But Josh Myers as the fulcrum, as the pivot point in the middle of that line, they've had some really good centers here. I think Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan wasn't a great center last year, but he's a great lineman who was forced to play out of position. We know how good Billy Price and Pat Elfline have been here. We know how important Jacoby Boren was as an undersized center on the national championship team. He is not your prototypical center, but he did his job for a national champion. Josh Myers has to do his job. And if for some reason, and I'm not anticipating this, but if for some reason center is a cluster, watch out. New quarterback. Four new starters on the offensive line. Three senior receivers lost. A running back who is trying to atone for an average year last season. If for some reason it goes south at center, a lot of this offense could go south very quickly. I think we can all anticipate that Josh Myers, who was a four-and-a-half-star recruit, big recruit, big get for them, had two years to prepare for this job. I think we can assume he's going to be able to do it, but he has to be able to do it. So that's how important I think that is. That's how important I think Josh Myers is, that he has to be good because he's at such an important position at a, at a potential spot of vulnerability. Number four, Jeffrey Okuda. If Jeffrey Okuda becomes the next top 15 pick at corner, that changes things. Damon Arnett, I think, is Damon Arnett. Fine, good, handsy, penalties, coverage, pretty good. Those two, those two runs against Maryland, the second last week of the regular season last year that, that got out of the gate and went for a, a gazillion yards. Damon Arnett was out of position on that side of the field. Um, I don't know if Damon Arnett's going to go. I don't know if Damon Arnett's going to become a great player. Jeffrey Okuda clearly can still become a great player. He flashed that in the Rose Bowl. We all know the potential as a five-star recruit. He's got the size. He's got the skill. He's got the smarts. He's shown it in flashes. If he is the next Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, Bradley Roby, that changes things for this defense. That's what this defense missed last year. They were good but not great, but not great at corner, and that was an issue. <coughs> Someone said they missed the cough. It's back. I'm not sick. I'm just dry. I'm just dry. I was in Cleveland all day for meetings talking about this text thing. I'm a little dry. If Jeffrey Okuda is great, that changes everything. When you have a lockdown corner at a spot, that changes everything. They didn't have that last year. You saw the effect. That's how important Jeffrey Okuda is. If he is the next first-round corner and he plays like it in 2019, that's a game-changer. He's number four on my list. Number three is Justin Fields. And he's number three because I think they couldn't be can be good without him being great. So... Like, there's a world where you could say the quarterback should always be number one on a list like this, right? It's the quarterback. And last year, 
Um, we could have had a great – gosh, we probably – if this similar list last year, we would have had a great debate about Haskins versus Bosa. And then as it turned out, they lost Nick Bosa and still went 13-1 and and finished number three in the country. Now, we can also have an argument. Would Nick Bosa have helped change the result of the Purdue game and get them in the playoff? And that's the whole point. Yeah, maybe. But think about where they would have been if just – if Dwayne Haskins had gotten hurt, Right? So I think in the end last year, this list, if we did it end of the year, Dwayne Haskins clearly would have been number one because Nick Bosa was gone. But even if we did it in September, if we did it this time a year ago, I think the right answer would have been Dwayne Haskins one, Nick Bosa two, the way the season turned out. Got to take a sip of of, uh, Diet Coke here. Hold on a second. Sorry. Justin Fields is three to me. Because I'm not anticipating him winning the Heisman. And if you think he can win the Heisman and lead him to a national championship, then I think he's got to be one on your list. I'm anticipating that like his floor is good but inconsistent. And his ceiling is really good but inconsistent. I'm not sure that I think... Heisman winner is on the table in 2019 for him. If I thought it was, then he'd be number one. I don't think it is. So I'm going to have him third because I also think Matt Baldwin as the backup quarterback, if something went south with Justin Fields from a health standpoint or something like that, and you had to play Matt Baldwin, I think you would still win a lot of games. I think it would be similar now. I think Justin Fields' ceiling is higher, and I'm a 1,000% sure Justin Fields is going to win the job, um, and Justin Fields clearly has the bigger upside, and it, again, as we said before, it's a lot to me like the Haskinsboro thing of a year ago, um, and as I wrote, I remember writing off the spring game, the throw that proved that Dwayne Haskins has to be the starting quarterback. There's nothing Joe Burrow could have done. Because the way Dwayne Haskins threw the ball was just unlike anybody else. You've got to play that guy. I don't think there's anything Matthew Baldwin can do. Because what Justin Fields has the potential to do is just different in a way that he's got to be the quarterback. I'm just not anticipating it being perfect. That's why he's three for me right now. Two. So now I think you guys probably know who one is. So now you're saying, well, if Fields is three, who are the two guys ahead of him? I think I know who the one guy ahead of him is, but who's the other guy? And this I'm not sure about, but I'm also kind of sure about it. So see if you can guess. I'll give you five seconds. Five, four, subscribe to my text thing. Three, two, one. Number two is Chris Olave. And here's why. Chris Olave did things at the end of his freshman year out of nowhere that flashed what he could be. And if you're saying, who is the guy? There's a lot of Garrett Wilson hype, justifiable. Austin Mack can still be great. KJ Hill is super reliable. JK Dobbins is really good. If you said right now, which player on the Ohio State offense has the best chance to be a first team All-American this year? That's a good question in and of itself. See, Chris McCormick, I don't need you to do all the work for us. Sometimes I can come up with my own questions. Which Ohio State offensive player has the best chance to be a first-team All-American? 
I think my answer is Chris Olave. And if he's number two on my list, it better be. I think Chris Olave could be great now. I think he could be game-changing now. I think he could be win the Michigan game for you kind of Chris Olave. Because guess what? He was that last year when he was a true freshman. And if that's what he can be for Justin Fields, and he is the number one receiver, the playmaker, the game breaker, the go-to guy, the guy that scares defenses, that defensive coordinators have to plan for, that changes everything. That makes Justin Fields better. It takes pressure off the offensive line. It takes pressure off J.K. Dobbins. It takes pressure off the defense because Chris Olave is a game changer. I think that's out there. And I'm not certainly the only one who thinks that. And if that's out there, that makes him number two on this list. I think Chris Olave has the chance to be an All-American right now as a true sophomore. And if that happens, as long as you have somebody who has that chance and you have that belief he has a chance to be that, that changes your team. He's number two. Number one is Chase Young, of course. Chase Young is going to be a guy a year from now. <coughs> who's going to be getting ready for the NFL draft. He is the next in the line. He is, he is the heir to the Bosa throne. He is the next guy on this list to be a great pass rusher. Take him off this defense, everything changes. Just like you took Nick Bosa off the defense last year, and everything changed. Nick uh, Chase Young was not himself for much of last year. Double high ankle sprain, dealing with things not at his best. We've been in a weird little patch here where we never got to see the best of Nick Bosa. He rotated as a freshman and sophomore, and by the time he was going to be the man as a junior, he played two and a half games and he got hurt. We did not see, we have not seen, the best of Chase Young yet. Fifth defensive end as a true freshman in the rotation, but barely. Last year, expected to be this bookend to Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa gets hurt. Chase Young has to take on the responsibility. Then he's hurt. He's not out, but he's playing hurt much of the year. And then at the end of the year when he got healthy, he was a different player. If he can stay healthy and be that guy and be himself all year, it's a game changer. You take him off this defense. You change this defense. So that's my list of 10. I think it's a super interesting question. Um, maybe we'll do something this summer and have you guys send in your list of 10 or something like that. But I just think it's... I think it's an interesting way to look at this team because it's not obvious, and I think it's, I think it's more interesting um, when stuff's not obvious. And I think the, the, the thing with this team right now is, and we've gone over this before, the sure things, Jordan Fuller, Malik Harrison, um, Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, there's not a lot of sure things. I think those are my four. And even J.K., there's wiggle room of like how good is the good. So it's a great question by Chris McCormick. We appreciate you guys sending in all these questions. Um, we're going to get right now to my discussion, Stephen and I breaking down Tate Martell for about 15 minutes, then breaking down the basketball Buckeyes for 50 minutes. Then we're going to come back at the end with about 15 to 20 minutes of final football questions. We appreciate you guys listening, as always, to Buckeye Talk. We'll be back right now. So, Stephen, before we get into basketball, our friend and mine, America's favorite transfer, Tate Martell, is immediately eligible at Miami. That news came down on Tuesday evening. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised he got the waiver. I'm surprised that like the we the reasons that have been reported 
are what he used to get the waiver. But no, I'm not surprised he got the waiver. And I'm happy he did get the waiver. Let the boy play. I'm excited to see what he can do. Hopefully the U is back. Hopefully the U is back. Yeah, man. I think there are certain programs in every sport where life is just better when that program or team or organization is good. Ohio State is good. Alabama is good. Some random ACC team right now is Clemson is good. Usually it's Florida State. Now we got Miami is hopefully good again this year. We'll see. Obviously, it's too early because it's March. And Tate Martell has taken probably thrown a total of like 150 passes. Maybe less. But, yeah, if the U is back, I think that's good for college football. You think Tate Martell can bring back the U? I think he's got the perfect attitude and I think he's good enough that he meshes well with the U and what it stands for. And that combined with the turnover chain, the U is back. Now we just got to get USC to get their act together and college football will be in heaven. Tate Martell bringing back the U uh, would be interesting. I don't know if that's where I am <laughs> with Tate Martell and the U. Um, I do think Miami's been in a weird spot for like, a decade and a half. <clears throat> Basically, Butch Davis um, had a pretty good thing going there. Eh, he had an okay thing going there. Pretty good. Then he came to the Browns. Then Larry Coker obviously won a national championship in 2001. Then, you know, Ohio State beat Miami in 2002. And then, like, Larry Coker petered out. And then they've been lost in the wilderness for about a decade. Mm -hmm. um, from Randy Shannon, who I actually thought was going to be good and it didn't work out. Al Golden, that I think was a bad hire there, was never the right fit, was never more than average. Mark Richt came back there to try to save them after Georgia. He's an alum. He's like a transitional guy, but I think Manny Diaz might be the right guy there. I think that guy can, can get that community excited about Miami football again. I don't think necessarily that like Tate is the key to bringing back the U, but I also don't think, and this is what matters for Ohio State fans, Tate Martell's bringing back the U. Man, I had not thought of it that way. That guy's going to wear like the turnover chain to class every day. He's got to. He's got they got to come up with like a chain for the offense. They do. Just so he can wear it every Monday following games. He just walks from class to class, whatever. I don't know what his major was, but he just walks in the his 10 a.m. class and sits in the front row with that chain on. With the chain on. With a chain, some type of offensive chain. I don't care if it's like it's a touchdown chain or a rushing touchdown or maybe he threw through for 300 yards, rushed for 100 yards, some type of chain for Tate Martell. The Tate and chain. The some Tate kind of and chain. chain. So we've got a Okay, we've got to come up with a chain for Tate to wear walking around campus in Coral Gables. Um Do you think and then we'll get off of this. Because he's gone, whether he played at Miami. I mean, the only question was, it wasn't like he couldn't go to Miami. It was just, can he play in mm -hmm. 2019 or not? It's, that's the one thing about this is like the transfer portal. Does it? It's not a magic. It's just, can you play right away? And like, I know we, we, people talk about transfers all the time. It's like, it stinks to have to sit out a year. Like, it doesn't ruin your life. It's not the end of the world. If you have, you, so, you know, I think I think some of this has been overinflated of like, oh, now like it's world-changing. And it's nice for, for players to get to play. It stinks to have to sit out. Mm -hmm. But like guys redshirt at schools, guys don't win jobs. Like guys don't play all the time. So anyway, I think we've gone a little bit off the deep end with the meaning of this stuff. What do you think this means for the future of transfers? 
a lot of people on Twitter are reading this as the beginning of college football free agency. And I will tell you, I am not. I think that's a misread. Where are you on the free agency aspect of this? I don't think this enhanced it. Like, within the next, like, two years we're going to see it. But I think over the next decade, if we get to a point where, like, there's no longer a need to, like, get a waiver to play right away. If, like, you can just transfer and play right away without having to, like, you know, make your case on why you should be able to play right away. I think then we'll be on the path of, like, real college football, college sports free agency in general if it gets to that point. But until that point, I think this is just a small step into that direction. That would be the major step, though, if we see a point where there's nothing in the way of you having to redshirt when you transfer. You can just come in and play automatically. Then we'll see, like, some re- a real step in that direction. A-Rod uh, tweeted, uh, can't wait. Let's go about about Tate Martell. <clears throat> Getting to play at Miami right away. He's already a legend. A-Rod, man. LeBron tweets about Ohio State, though. So, like, you know. I mean. Kind of a step down. How much of a... I think this, that's probably for a later podcast when it's, like, July and there's really nothing to talk about. I don't know how much of a fan LeBron is of any team, but I'll save that for a rainy day. There's always something to talk about, yeah. but that would be interesting. So I, I want to go over this. This is why I don't think this matters that much for free agency. This is why I think this is a misread by people on Twitter. Um, Barry Jackson, who covers Miami, has written about this. He they just he talked to Tate's lawyer, um, and they and the lawyer was saying that. One of the things that mattered is that Ohio State didn't try to keep Tate Martell. And actually, our man G. Nilly asked about this. He saw the Barry Jackson report. And let me uh, let me get the G. Nilly question off of this because I, 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 just, I just think that, again, there are circumstances here. The thing that is not true, this is not just I want to play – and I can't play at my new school and I'm just leaving. This is not that simple. We've gone over this. There was a coaching change. There was a medical reason for the coaching change mm-hmm. that was known and not disclosed. The Zach Smith stuff hovers here. Gene Nilly asked Doug, they had no interest in Martell staying, meaning Ohio State. I get not opposing his transfer, but do you buy that they wouldn't want him to stick around? They were fine with losing talent and depth in their quarterback room because that's how this is being presented. Um, by Miami here, and I'm just saying they're all just they're just playing the game. Ohio State is is do they do they want to kick Tate Martell out? No. Did they want Justin Fields instead of Tate Martell? Yes. Did they understand that when Justin Fields came, that's probably a straight Justin Fields for Tate Martell swap? Very likely, yes. They if Tate Martell wanted to stay. They would have had him stay. Like, that would have been fine with Ohio State. But what they don't want is, like, Tate, um, upset, angry, like, I've been wronged, and then staying. So so if they say, if, if the point that Ohio State made no effort to keep Tate is sort of like, well, what does that mean? And this Miami report is, this argument carried weight with the NCAA. You're here. They want you to be here. Mm-hmm. So, like, they made no effort to keep you. It's like, 
What, what do you mean no effort to keep you? You're here on scholarship. What more effort do you need? So the idea that no effort, this is quote, after Ohio State landed fields, the relationship between Martell and the Buckeyes obviously was impacted and quote, no efforts were made by Ohio State to rectify the feelings between the two, the source said. Tate felt it was in his and Ohio State's best interest to transfer. Ohio State did not object to that. So they're saying that they didn't try to get him to stay, but they're also saying in this story that they're claiming that the coaching change had no effect on him leaving. That's inexorably linked that the reason they weren't maybe trying to get him to stay is because they had a coaching change. And as you wrote previously, Stephen, Tate doesn't fit Ryan Day as well as he fit Urban Meyer. So here's my point on this. A lot of it is mumbo jumbo. It's in not in Ohio State's interest to try to block him. That would have just been vindictive. And what they don't want is angry Tate. If they want competitive fight for the job Tate, fine. They don't want angry Tate. So like if Tate made it clear that he's kind of angry, then it's like, okay, you can leave. That's fine. But the idea that this is free agency, that this is only, the only way this is absolute free agency is, is if you're in a situation where nothing changes and a kid just says, I'm not going to win the job, I'm out. That is not this. It's obviously not what this is. A, there was a coaching change. B, it was a complicated coaching change. It wasn't a clean firing. It wasn't a clean retirement. There was some stuff in there with medical issues and things that complicated, okay? And the other thing is he lost his job because of a guy who was allowed to transfer and play right away. I think that's a factor in this, that it's like it's not that you're not losing your job to somebody you've been in the room with and you just got beat out. It's like a person is is dropped from the heavens to take your job and he's allowed to play right away. So why shouldn't you be allowed to play right away? So here's the thing. Whatever the reporting is, I'm not disputing the reporting. I'm just telling you, let's be realistic and have common sense with this. This is not typical. This is not normal. And that means this is not the beginning of free agency because you cannot look at Tate Martell and say, well, just because he got it, now everybody's going to get it. Because are you telling me a, a, a transfer who was eligible, eligible right away took, you, took your job? Are you telling me your coach retired for health reasons and the offense changed? Are you telling me it was a health reason that was there, there and not disclosed? They're not going to have a public mess about this because that doesn't help anybody. But in my opinion, it is really far from free agency because it's obviously more complicated than the typical situation. So let me ask you a question then. What, in your opinion, what would have to happen for you to have a thought, well, well we might be headed that way? Would Joe, is Joe Burrow a better example of that? Just because he transferred because he didn't lose, he lost yes. the job. And there was no, like, he he was everything you just described. There was no coaching change. Right. There was no medical situation. There was there, no, got nobody transferred in. He was in the QB room with Dwayne Haskins the year before, and he transferred, and he was able to play right away. So is that more of a step where you see that and you go, okay, that's more of a step towards a college football free agency? So Joe Burrow was a grad transfer. That's why Joe Burrow right. could play right away. If Joe Burrow was not a grad transfer... I don't think Joe Burrow then 
or now would get a waiver to play at LSU right away when the only reason for your waiver is Dwayne Haskins beat me out. So basically... We have no proof of that. We have no proof of anybody just getting it straight up. Right. Without... This is a bad. This is a bad way to put it, but like, there's no really. You got lucky. Who did? So, Who got lucky? Both Justin Fields and Tate Martell. They both what? let like, and because like there were real reasons, obviously, that they were able to use some somebody on Georgia's baseball team made some racist. And I, I don't want to go through all that. Right, People um, know that. right. Yeah. Somebody did that, and then Tate Martell had his situation. There were real situations, but we all know that they did. They weren't going to win the job. Either you didn't win the job, or you weren't going to win the job, so you left. Yeah, no. So yeah, but there were complicating situations. Right. Actually, Antonio Williams from Ohio State transferred to North Carolina last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he had a real reason to be able to play right away, and he got to play right away. So okay, so there's so, a good. So there example are some examples of, of that, but but. There aren't like super high profile quarterback examples to me that don't have something. My point is this. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on every transfer. My point is this. If you are pointing to Tate Martell as a smooth and easy, he didn't have any reason to get a waiver and he got one, I'm telling you he does have reasons. He has complicating factors that do not exist in every case, just like Justin Fields did, and that Joe Burrow or many other quarterback transfers would not have that. So whatever the reporting is, whatever, whatever people are saying, it does nobody any good to try to, to try to stand in people's way. But I'm not sure that this means free agency. So that's, that's my take. Don't, I think it's a misread to say this is a, there's no complicating factor on tape because there are. That's all. That's all. So here's a quote. Martell, once he entered the transfer portal, this is again from the MiamiHerald.com from columnist Barry Jackson. Once he entered the portal, he was no longer affiliated with Ohio State and was essentially a free agent because of the way their divorce went down. Here's why, by the time he entered the portal, Ohio State had shown no interest in Martell staying. At that point, according to a Miami source, he's run off, and now he has to find a new home, and he found Miami. So, again... Why is he quote? If they're saying that, why is he run off? He's run off because they had a coaching change, and, and the new coach brought in a, a transfer. So that's not it. That's just not. That's not typical. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's probably too much time on Tate. You guys care more about the people here than the people who are gone. I just think. Um, I don't think this is necessarily the floodgates. I just think Tate's going to play. I also don't know that Tate's bringing back the U. No offense to Tate. Um, all right, we are now transitioning to basketball. Here's our basketball transition noise. Wow. Now we're doing basketball. We'll get back to football later. Steven, how far is Ohio State going to go? Give people who they're playing their breakdown. This is just a reset um, for the tournament and then explain how far you think they're going to make it. Okay, so first round, they're they're an 11 seed. They're playing in Tulsa. They'll play the 6 seed Iowa State. Cyclones, I don't okay, but they're currently ranked. What do you have an issue with the Cyclone nickname? I don't. I just like. I get it because like I guess there's like tornadoes in and Iowa. I don't know. I've never been. There's to a Iowa. boatload of tornadoes in Iowa. Okay, also, coincidentally, boatload of tornadoes in Tulsa. So keep your head down. Honestly, I'm a little worried because I was looking at my weather and like I get their air quality is like really bad, so I'm a little nervous about that. But back to Iowa State. Iowa State. 
uh, finished 23-11 this season. They were ranked 24th in the last AP poll of the regular season. They finished 9-9 in their conference, but they took down Kansas in the, in the Big, Ten, Big 12 I'm sorry, championship game, which is how they ended up with an automatic bid in the number six seed in the NCAA tournament. They have four guys averaging in double figures, while Ohio State has two. They've got Mario... Mariel, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, I apologize. Shayok, and I'll and I'll learn it in the next like 48 hours. You, know, you probably should have learned it for the podcast. Yeah, but like, I don't, like <laughs> you've had like three days. It's true. He's averaging 18.6 points per game. He, he as a transfer from Virginia is his first year here. Lindell Wigginton, 13.5 points per game. Taylor Horton Tucker, who was also an Ohio State. Recruit. He took a visit here, but ended up choosing Iowa State. He's having a solid freshman year, twelve point one points per game. Michael Jacobson at eleven point five points per game. Ohio State has two guys in double figures, and that's C.J. Jackson and Caleb Wesson. The Big Twelve basketball kind of mirrors how the football is. They score, they score, they score, they score. It's not a lot of defense, but they do score. They're they were first in the Big Twelve in points per game at seventy seven points per game. This is a a contrast in styles of play you know Big Ten is known for its physical play you know there's not a lot of high scoring games also in the mid 60s as far as points per game and allow in the mid 60s points per game pretty much while Big 12 teams they want to score Iowa State wants to score there is a route where Ohio State could be playing in the Sweet 16 where they would lose to probably Kentucky Unless something goes wrong, probably Kentucky in the Sweet 16 next weekend. What Again, is that route? I, I, I got, okay, we got. What is that route? Okay, what, what is the route where Ohio State beats a team that led the Big 12 in scoring? That route is how if Ohio State can turn this into a Big 10 game, can they? they? How do they? Do we have proof? Like, like, what? Do you think they have to keep it low scoring? Yeah. So how do they do that? You slow it down offensively. You, you keep fast break points at a minimum. I mean, you have a 30-second shot clock that resets 230 can, every single do time. They have, have they shown they can do that this year? Can CJ – do they have – I think – I thought that – part of their issue is they don't have, like, a true point guard running the show. No. Right? Do they have somebody who can control tempo? Do we have proof that they can control tempo in a game? They can dictate. Can they dictate to a better team? Who's more talented, Ohio, Iowa State or Ohio State? Iowa State's clearly more talented. So can they dictate tempo to a more talented team? There are two games where they did a pretty solid job of that. One, they did it for the full game, and the other one, they did it for the stretch, where they kind of went on an offensive run. The end of that Wisconsin game, the end of regulation, the last seven minutes of that game, they showed that they can compete, and they can control tempo a little bit. And C.J. made some plays down the stretch there. That showed that, no, he's not a true point guard. And he's probably not the player you want to be your starting point guard. But he showed in that stretch that he can do he can do some things. Now, he airballed a three at the end of the, first, the second half. And they ended up losing in overtime. But in that seven-minute stretch, they showed some things. Wisconsin was the more talented team. Indiana was the more talented team. And we actually discussed this. Indiana underachieved at 8-12 and 12 in the Big 10. Ohio State... Probably overachieved a little bit in the Big Ten going 8-12. and 12. Yet Ohio State won that game on a neutral site. They also won that game in Indiana. Okay, but, okay, who's better, Iowa State or Indiana? Who's more talented or who's better? I don't know. One team's in the tournament and one team's not. 
Like who? Because one team had an underachieving year. That doesn't take so, away talent but, and just. But, but Wisconsin doesn't go fast, right? So they controlled tempo in the second half of a, against Wisconsin that is not a fast-paced team anyway, right? Okay, yeah, all right. Well, Cincinnati is a little bit of a faster team. They won that game. Uh, UCLA, that's a Pac-12 school. They played. They have a pretty high tempo team, and they beat them. Obviously, UCLA, UCLA stinks. Right, but okay, I'm just Guess, com- can I'm anyone, combating the argument. Can anyone tell what I think's going to happen? <laughs> yeah, I'm combating the argument here of like, can a team control tempo? I think in a that there is a chance that they Holman's a great coach for starters. I think if they can get the ball to Caleb Wesson. He can control tempo just by having the ball in his hands <clears throat> and making solid plays and solid decisions. There is a route here where I think if they can control this tempo and turn this into a Big Ten game, there's a chance they could come out winners in this. Um, the guy to me, who's who's the guy? Who's the guy that's going to dictate? Who's the most important player in this game for Ohio State? Keyshawn Woods is the most. That's important That's who I player. think too. I think he had a really solid Big Ten tournament and. He's on record saying it. Chris Holtman literally said he is not here because of me. He is here because he wanted a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. He's technically never played in the NCAA tournament. He's played in the first four in part of the NCAA tournament, and they lost. He's never actually played in the NCAA tournament before. So this will be his first time, and I think this is these games in the Big Ten tournament is why they brought him here. It's why he came here. And I think if he can continue to play the way he played in the Big Ten tournament – Ohio State has a chance. Will he? I I thought Keyshawn Woods was a bust. I thought Keyshawn Woods for this regular season, for most of the season. I agree. He scored. He has scored doubled in double dig- digits in five of his last seven games. In all the games before that, he okay. scored in double digits in five games. Yeah. So the idea that he scored sixteen and eighteen the last two times out against Michigan State and Indiana. Um, is crazy to me because it's so he was nine of 13. He's 14 of 21. He's making two thirds of his shots. He's 14 of 21. The last two games, um, averaging 17 points per game. Like if that's who he is, all of a sudden he has not been that guy all year. And all of a sudden that's who he is. I know that like getting Caleb Wesson back was a huge deal. Keyshawn Woods was like a zero to me. He was just like a body on the court. It's like, oh, he's a grad transfer. They come in. They've had some grad transfers here in the past that like show up with some expectation and do nothing. Anthony Lee a couple years ago, several years ago, was kind of like that. And I thought that's what Keyshawn Woods was. If he's going to score 17 points, then I'm in. I think there are some guys who are postseason players. He might be a postseason player. So he had 30 crappy games and now he's good? Uh some guys what does that just, mean you're a postseason player? Some guys play better in, in the postseason. He scored three <laughs> points against Illinois on one of six shooting in 25 minutes when they lost to Illinois in February. They could have used him then. I, I don't know. He also had 18 points the first time they played Illinois. I'm just saying and this night, guy and, put up a lot of three point, four point, six point, right, seven point like, games. I think and did nothing for. But that. he's also had some like he's he's also had some games where like in against Creighton on the road and that win, which yeah, is like in December, the, right? But at the Don't, moment, that was a pretty yeah, that's a pretty solid win at that point. Here's he had the thing that I points. that I I dismiss. 
I get that they played Cincinnati in the first game of the year and Creighton in the third game of the year. I don't care. Whatever <laughs> happened there, and like that was my issue with this team of like, well, they beat Cincinnati on November 7th. That's the win that should get them in the tournament. It's like, I don't. Who cares? I'm not saying that. I'm talking about him specifically. No, I know, but I also don't care that he scored 19 against Creighton. I, I care that, like, in the next 20 games, he scored 2, 4, 6, 5, 7, 3, 2, 4, 7, 3. And then he just turned it on in the postseason? And he just turned it on. So is this – is something and, – and I also don't buy – well, he was like, oh, like the bright lights are on in the in the big lights listen, are on. It's time to perform. Like, listen, okay, I get it. Like, the, a, a, a round of uh, uh, an eight nine matchup against Indiana in the Big Ten tournament is not Carnegie Hall. That's you, not man? like Keyshawn Woods type. All oh, baby, I've been saving it for the eight nine game. I mean, all he, year he was solid against Michigan State. They just weren't better. Than no, Michigan I know, State. but I'm saying like, so that's, so, but it's like, you know that. Is this real? Is there something that he's doing differently with his game? Are they getting him the ball in different spots on the court? Is there something with his shot? Is it in the flow of the offense? Is he playing off Caleb better? Like, what is it that all of a sudden Keyshawn Woods is an offensive force when he was an offensive nothing for 30 games? What's different? I do believe, and he said this about Caleb I think Caleb Wesson being gone really threw off a lot of the things with the backcourt. Now, but also, Not there that, were the 27 no, right, games before that right, when Caleb right, wasn't gone and that. he stopped. All I'm talking about is the last five games. But I'm and talking this... about the 20 games before that when he averaged four points a game. <laughs> What's the difference to that? I don't want the answer to be. the an- did so, so when Caleb was out, did he, he did he find something then? The idea that now he's good with Caleb, he played the whole year with Caleb mm-hmm. and wasn't good. So what changed? He was more aggressive. He's whether more it was, aggressive Whether now? it was, yeah. He, uh, and... and Two of the three games they played without Caleb, he shot 11 shots. Oh, he didn't He didn't necessarily have a good field goal percentage in one of those games, but just the simple fact that he was looking for his shots. He shot six free throws in one of the games. He shot eight shots against Purdue, but you know, the I think... He missed him. He missed him all, but he shot... He missed him. But I mean, he had seven points. Yeah, but I think Chris Holtman had been saying this for a while, that he needed <coughs> Keyshawn to be more aggressive in looking for a shot, and that was something he said earlier in the season, and even Keyshawn admitted that, yeah, I need to be aggressive and look for my shot a little bit more. So sometimes it's just good to see a guy being aggressive, looking to put the ball in the basket, and eventually some shots will fall. In the Big Ten tournament, those shots eventually started to fall. But it started with him shooting 11 shots in back-to-back games. Even if he wasn't making them, it was one of the games he had 15 points. It's, okay, at least you're looking for your shot. You're being aggressive and trying to make things happen. There's the first step. Now we can get to, okay, now can we get some production out of this aggression? And in the Big Ten tournament, we got production. He has shot at least 10 shots. He shot the ball at least 10 times in three of his last four games. He shot the ball at least 10 times, five games total before that. Mm-hmm. So he is shooting the ball more. So so does he have to be that Keyshawn Woods for them to have a chance? 100%. Will he be that? Do you believe which Keyshawn Woods do you think we'll see against Iowa State? I'm going to go 55% Big Ten tournament Keyshawn, okay. 45% regular season Big Ten so, so, so. So, and like, we're coming from a point where I was wrong on this podcast last week, as some people on Twitter pointed out, and that's fair game. Um, and Stephen was right. I said, and I have a point. We have a thing we need to talk about. Well, I, I'm already, I already talked about it in the intro. Well, what, being wrong and right? No, there's a thing that we're doing. Um, there's a thing that we're doing 
that I, we were, were reaching out to you guys, but I'm going to put that at the beginning. You already heard it. Okay, here's the deal. I was wrong. I thought they'd lose to Indiana. And, Stephen, you had that right. So if we're having a disagreement on like what we think is going to happen, you were right most recently. I was not. Um, I guess I will buy, at the very least, they must get that Keyshawn Woods to have a chance. I don't think if they get the 15-point-a-game, 11-shot Keyshawn Woods, that means they're going to win. I think that means they have a chance to win. I think if they get four-point Keyshawn Woods, they might get blown off the court. 100%. So no matter how good Caleb is. So I think we're, so we're clearly in agreement Keyshawn Woods is the key guy. Part two of that is, obviously, everything changes with Caleb Wesson. What is your belief that Caleb Wesson can stay on the stinking floor for this game? Because here's what is not an acceptable rationale, and we're not going to come back next week and say, oh, well, if Caleb Wesson hadn't gotten in foul trouble, I hate that. they could have won. I hate that. Because this is not a luck, no. chance, <clears throat> hey, the refs. No, this guy cannot stay out of foul trouble. That is a fact. You must factor his foul trouble into the game. To say if Caleb Wesson hadn't gotten in foul trouble, Ohio State minus one, to me is the same thing as saying, well, if C.J. Jackson had made all nine of his shots, Ohio State minus one. It's like, well, I guess that's a fact, but it was never going to happen because he's in foul trouble all the time. You can't say that with a guy averaging north of three fouls a game. So what do they have to do? Do you have a belief that... I think if he's in foul trouble, they lose. And, and we can go back. They lost. They have lost in the NCAA tournament before um, with foul issues. Mm-hmm. Mike Conley had some foul issues. Um, David Lighty had foul issues when they lost to Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, when they should have gone probably to the Final Four, and they lost um, in the Sweet 16, the, uh, Evan Turner's sophomore year. Um, those are some like, hey, so here's the thing. When, like, a random dude picks up a second foul early in the first half, mm-hmm. that's kind of a random thing, right? And that can have an effect. Caleb's foul trouble is part of who he is. It's part of who this team is. So what do, what does he have to do to be smarter about it? And does it seem like Iowa State is a team that he can stay out of foul trouble? Or is this exactly the kind of team if they have multiple dudes who can score if they're going to push tempo a little bit. Is this going to be the exact kind of team where he's out of position on defense, Mm -hmm. he's out of position on a rebound, and he's ramming into people, and all of a sudden he has 2,006 minutes and this thing's over? Here's my biggest concern, and we've seen it a couple of times with teams when they play Ohio State. Syracuse did it, Michigan State did it both times, and some other teams have done it. When the game is on the line, they do what a lot of basketball teams do in the NBA. High screen and roll, high screen and roll, high screen and roll, high screen and roll. And Michigan State's got the Big Ten Player of the Year, so they can do that with Cassius Winston. Syracuse has got guys who are probably going to be you know, trying to get on an NBA roster. So they have the guys to do that. Purdue had a guy who could do that in Carson Edwards. Where you put a guy in a high screen and roll, and I asked Chris Holtman about this maybe a month ago, just on his team's ability to guard, especially in a high screen and roll situation. And he admitted that that's something that they need to continue to work on. Three of Iowa State's scores 
are guards. They're perimeter players, which means they're probably in a lot of screen and roll opportunities. If it becomes an issue where, like, they're attacking Caleb Weston because they know that's the offense and they know he's, like, a magnet for fouls, then things can become an issue because he already has a a rough time avoiding random foul calls. So when a team is, like, constantly putting pressure on him and attacking the rim, then it becomes a whole nother issue of, oh, he might have three fouls in the first half. And then you're in trouble for the rest of the game because he has this tendency of get, getting into early foul trouble and then in the first, like, tw- you know, two minutes of the second half, picking up that third or the fourth one. So if you had to guess, he will be in foul trouble or he won't be in foul trouble? If I was a betting man, I think he'll have three fouls by the 15-minute mark in the second half. Okay. And then do you have to take him out or do you have to keep him in and tell him to, like, be smart? Chris uh, Chris Holman does this thing with him where, you know, he, he takes him out for a small amount of time and tries to get him back into the game as quickly as possible. I think he just has to play that smart. I think that's more on Chris to play that smarter. Like, he can't – you can't throw him back out there at the 12-minute mark with three fouls if you see the game is being called a certain way where, like – if if the game is already being called tight, you might have to sit him until the eight or seven mark. You can, yeah. If he picks up that foul at the fifteen minute mark, you can't bring him back at twelve minute mark because he's going to pick up that next foul in the next ninety seconds. Iowa State is sixty second in the nation in scoring at seventy seven point four points per game. Mm-hmm. Houston, the three seed that presumably, unless they get upset by Georgia State, that Ohio State will get in the second round, is eighty third in the nation at seventy six point two points per game. Um, it's one of those things, it's like if, you know, Villanova's a six, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd rather play Iowa State than Villanova. And, like, um, who's, like, I don't know who the best three is, but I don't think Houston's the best three. No. no. The best three? Let's, let's look at that. So it's like if you're looking at path, if you're looking at, like, okay, Ohio State's an 11 seed. They were one spot away from having to play in Dayton in a play-in game. Mm-hmm. And their path is Iowa State-Houston – that's more doable than Villanova and yeah. who's the best three? The best three is probably Purdue or LSU. LSU stinks. They cheat. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's easier uh, than – yeah, I'd rather – if I was Ohio State, I'd rather play Iowa State-Houston than Villanova-Purdue. Honestly, they're probably in the softest bracket. The, the best two teams are clearly North Carolina – and Kentucky, and then Villanova is a six. Is I'm sorry, Villanova is not in their bracket. Wow, I'm scrolling way too far. But North Carolina, and then Kansas is a four seed, but they wouldn't go face Kansas unless they got to the Elite Eight, and that's probably going to be between North Carolina and Kansas. We'll talk. Let's let's save the Elite Eight talk until next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. Like the point is, they have a very there. There is a good chance that they could be playing in the Sweet Sixteen. Just oh, based. Oh, 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 oh. I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised. I mean, that's okay. so here's the thing about a matchup. People like to look at the other team in a matchup and say, oh, that matchup. That's not a bad matchup. Forgetting their team. I don't know what what is it. What is it? Here's the thing. You have no faith in this team. But here's the thing. All right. So I thought they were going to lose to Indiana. They didn't. What is the proof of they could get to the Sweet 16? What was the proof that they could beat Indiana? That Indiana has its head up its own butt. That's fair. And didn't make the tournament. What's the proof? The team that they beat that is the defining win of, look, they beat Indiana. Indiana didn't even freaking make it. 
It was a playing game to get in. It's like they, like someone said when I said, oh, they were one spot away from being in Dayton. Someone said they already played their playing game against Indiana. Because last week we said, is this a playing game? It was. It was. Yeah. It turned out yes. One hundred percent. It was a playing game. We had a debate last week where it was like you wouldn't go. See, you can't be definitive now. One hundred percent. I don't think last week you said it wasn't one hundred percent a playing game. You <sighs> thought maybe they'd have to beat Michigan State to get in. That's not a playing game. We already went through what is the definition of a playing game. Playing game is winners in, losers out, which is what it was. All right, well, I'm saying now in the hindsight. Yeah, obviously, in, the, in that oh, moment, brilliant I'm analysis. Def- in hindsight, <laughs> it was a playing game. Uh, what, what, is the, what is the proof of they can – Iowa State and Houston are both in the top 25. The only team they beat in the top 25 is Iowa. And since – now, the one thing is, well, Cincinnati just beat Houston – in that conference title game. Yeah. And if you'll remember, 33 months ago, whenever this season started, Ohio State beat Cincinnati. which remains, Cincinnati. Which remains its best win. And again, if we're talking about your best win happened in the first 13 seconds of a season, I'm not impressed with your body of work. So, I'm just saying, like, I think they're going to lose to Iowa State, and that's fine. But... Um, the the thing to me is like if you're gonna tell me that Keyshawn Woods is now like a dude, then okay, I'm not convinced that Keyshawn Woods is in dude mode. I think he had like a couple hot games, but I also think that like he could take eleven shots against Iowa State and like make two of them, and then they're gonna lose by fourteen. So my pick, which again, to be clear, to be clear, in case anyone missed this a week ago. I said they would lose to Indiana, and they beat Indiana. So what happens sometimes is a person says a thing, and they're wrong. I was wrong. But what I'm not going to do is stop attempting to be right. So my pick... How many people attacked you? No, just somebody somebody on Twitter was like... Somebody was like... uh, On Twitter was like, well, he might be a fine journalist, but he's sure not a prognosticator. And it's like... Like, have, you really never, right now. have you never heard of a sports writer getting a pick wrong? It's always crazy <laughs> to me. Like, really hurt. Like, <laughs> it's like, I'm just to be clear. I don't want people to think that I don't acknowledge when I'm wrong. I said they would score fewer points in Indiana. They scored more. I think they're going to lose to Iowa State. I don't think Keyshawn Woods can keep it going. I think there's too many things. I think the things that have to give them a chance, I think they have to have like three or four things happen just to have a chance, and they could have everything go right and still lose. And I feel like if you think Keyshawn Woods has to score at least 14, Caleb has to stay out of foul trouble and be effective, CJ has to be super smart um, with the ball and run the show effectively, and like probably like Justin Arns has to hit a couple big shots, right? Or whatever the thing. Like I think all of that gets them in the game, doesn't guarantee a win. And if like one or two of those four things doesn't happen, then I just think they're out. So I think they lose by like nine. I would, I would, I think the line's six and a half or something I yeah, saw. right now. I would take Iowa State. So that's my pick. Explain to them why you think we'll be here a week from now talking about whether or not they're going to make the Elite Eight. I think Keyshawn continues, <coughs> like I said before, I think Keyshawn is a postseason player. <clears throat> so I think he's going to continue to put together what has been a solid postseason so far from him. Who, Keyshawn, which who's never played in the postseason before. I mean, so far he's showing he is a postseason player. He's played in two, he's played in two postseason games as an Ohio State player, and he's played pretty good. So as an Ohio State player, he's been a postseason player. I'm going to get you the T-shirt. 
Keyshawn Woods. No, no. Season I, if I'm going to get a t-shirt, it's going to be Team Luther. No, I know. I know. I, I, it's like Luther Muhammad makes like two shots in a row and you tweet like <laughs> Team Luther Muhammad. Yes, I am it's Team like, Luther. Dude, he has five points. I know, but like he it. literally went like nine games without hitting two shots. And it was like, that was such a, like, a riveting thing for me to see. I was really happy for him. All right, I'm going to interject my thing. I'm going to interject now and just wipe out your whole uh, thing you're about to say. No, go ahead. Because here's the thing, like, when you watch them, it's like, you've watched them a hundred times more than I have this year. But it's like, you watch them and it's like, man, I like Luther Muhammad. And you watch me think, man, I like Dwayne Washington. And it's like, Justin Orange is like a streaky mofo. And like, yeah. I don't know if you can rely on him. But man, when that guy heats up, that guy heats up. So it's like, uh, there are a lot, like, I'm not down on this team at all. I'm trying to be realistic about this current team in yeah. this moment. There are a lot of pieces that I like. For the future. And so, like, if you're going to tell me that, like, Dwayne Washington's going to show up and be like, I'm here. I'm ready for this. And Dwayne Washington goes off. Or Luther Muhammad, who forgot how to play offensive basketball for the last month. Like, Luther Muhammad goes off. I listed those four things, whatever you think have to go right. Those are, like, the veterans. Those are the guys that, at this point, you think you're relying on. (coughs) I do think it's reasonable to leave open the door for, like, hey. A freshman just has a moment. that guy who we think Luther Muhammad, like a year from now, is going to be doing stuff like this. Especially if he moves it, up his timetable yeah. to Friday, well, okay then. I think it would be good for him to do that. Because it's like with him, it's like, man, he's really good. Now imagine when he's got a true point guard running a show, and then EJ Little is in here, and Alonzo Gaffney's in here. And so all of a sudden, he's not the only offensive threat out there. Dwayne Washington Jr. is going to be one heck of a six man here. But like, I think that, like, Luther was really, really efficient. And then it just, like, it wasn't like a natural decline. It just kind of stopped. Like, on a dime. And you're not really sure why. And, like, obviously the freshman wall hits and stuff. But, like, it's been a month. Like, a freshman wall, I feel like, any type of, like, first year of a guy with a wall, regardless of what you're doing, I think is maybe a couple weeks at most. You hit the wall and that's it. You don't hit the wall and get back up. I don't know, You hit man. the wall and you stay down. No, if you stay down, that's, if you stay down, that's just quitting. And you might as well just stop You're playing. exhausted. Yeah, but you get back up and go, man, that was typical. Okay, that way is not going to get me up that wall. So let me find another way to get up this wall. I Keyshawn has to play well, but I would put my money on Luther. If any freshman on this team is going to have that I'm here moment, it would be Luther Muhammad. Luther Muhammad scored 20 points in a 74-70 win over Penn State like, on February 7th. Down. Since then, 9-2-2-2-3-0-4-3-3-6-7. So, like, you can want him. You can't be Team Luther Muhammad I know. and then act like if he hit the wall and is just dead... That somehow that's that's like on him. It's just reality, man. No, I'm not saying it's not. What I'm saying is, I, if you if may he, want him to get back up, he I want hasn't, him to get back up. Um, he hasn't got. All up. I'm saying is, if any freshman of those guys, of those four freshmen, that's going to have a I'm here moment, I would put it on Luther to have that I'm here moment. One, because he's clearly he's get, clearly getting the most like time out of the four. He's been the only consistent guy in the rotation between the four, and he's just talent. I think he's talented enough to do it. So if one does, I'm not saying he is going to, but if one does, he would be the one I would put my money on to have the I'm here moment. And, and that's one of the things. That's like if Luther Muhammad scores twenty against Iowa State, it's not going to be. 
it's going to be like, there's Luther again. It's not going to be like, yeah. who is this guy? Yeah. Like, this guy's <laughs> like back. He's done it before. And here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Talk about the freshman wall. They haven't played since Friday. They're not going to play until, until Friday. Friday. Mm-hmm. He's been playing every three or four days all year. In a conference that literally beats you down physically. So, like, maybe he took some naps. And in fairness... <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe, Chris Hobbit said he was probably the most in shape freshman he's seen in a while, and maybe that after and like, he still hit it, and it's st- and it, but it came so late that it was like maybe he just needed to like he just needed an energy bar. He just needed a week. He needed yeah. seven he days. Did give Luther Muhammad a week, and magical things can happen. Team Luther, like not impossible, not impossible, but like I'm not gonna bet my house on that. Well, no, I'm just gonna put a small little chunk of change to where like if I get a, if I lose it, it's like ah, okay. But if I win, oh man, I really <laughs> came up a little bit there. But like the thing is, it's like we've never like here's one thing that's true: Luther Muhammad and Keyshawn Woods have like never been good at the same time. No, so they if, haven't. If Luther Muhammad and Keyshawn Woods are like good at the same time, then 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 Stephen Means is covering the Elite Eight, baby. Like it's like <laughs> what happened is like I don't know. They got to the tournament and decided to have everybody be good for the first time ever. For which the first like, time in 33 games, they're all good at the same time. Which is what you want as a coach. You want your guys to be at their peak at this time of year. But it's like it wouldn't even be a peak. It would just because a like, peak is if- like we're we're at the top. It was like you'd be over the peak. It's like you got to the top of the mountain and, just said, and then wow. you put on a jetpack. Yeah. Because like the top their mountain the whole thing is like everybody wants to be at the top of the mountain. But it's also about how tall is your mountain? I don't think their mountain's that tall. Their mountain was Iowa where like and even then, like they didn't really play well. Justin just hit every shot. Yeah, and by the way, it was like <laughs> here comes Justin Orange. It's like no, no he didn't. No. Like everybody was going nuts when that Michigan State dude, what's his name? McQuaid? Jerry Lawler. Oh, Lawler. No, what's yeah. his name? Who, I don't know. What's his name? It's Lawyer? Little white guy. Made a Who bunch just of shots. In the, in the Big Ten Championship. Everyone yeah. was like, oh, where'd this guy come from? I mean, I was like, well, he scored 10 fewer points than Justin Arnes scored in Ohio State's biggest win of the year. It's like, if Ohio State's like, oh, man, like a, a little white guy made a bunch of shots out of nowhere. It's like, you remember when you beat the only team in the top 25 you've beaten all year. That that's what happened. And it's that a, Justin Orange hasn't scored more than like four points in a game since then. He had twenty nine. Yeah. And it's not surprising that I mean, okay, yeah, he hit the shots, but it's not surprising that a dude who's not on a scouting report is wide open. And then all of a sudden he goes off, and then now he's on a scouting report and he's no longer wide open. It's usually what happens. How many points did that dude have? What's his name? Lawyer. Lawyer. He had fourteen. People were like, oh, my God. Because it wasn't a stretch. It was just like this small little run where he was just hitting threes. It wasn't like a – like, Justin's was all game. Yeah. I mean, like, the the win, like, their best win of the year only happened because a dude who has basically threes. done nothing in any other game scored 29 points one time. I mean, it's insanity. So, anyway, I'm just saying – so, all I'm saying is, hey, all I'm saying is if Luther Muhammad, Keyshawn Woods, Justin Arns – Caleb Wilson, okay. Dwayne Washington, right. Andre Weston, Musa Jallo all play their very best. Could they win the national championship? Oh. No, they still couldn't win the <laughs> national championship. I sound like a hater, and, and here's the here's That's the deal. Fine. Justin Arns does nothing. He has done nothing since then. It's unbelievable. They run one they run one set for him. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it. Who cares? Like basketball is really easy to scout. So they run this play where they bring Justin up to the to the elbow, and TJ gives him the ball. He gives it right back. 
And then they go into like a handoff and he comes down onto the block and he comes back off off a scroll off a curl screen to try to get a three pointer. They ran that three times against Wisconsin and every single time they got a good shot. And yet for some reason they refused to keep running that play. I have seen them maybe run it like two or three times since the Wisconsin game. And it seems to be the only play they can run to get Justin Orange open, who's your only shooter. I want to see that type of action more where you're running stuff for other people to get shots in places they can make shots. Justin Arns, Big Ten Tournament. The spotlight, as Stephen Means likes to call it. The grandest stage there is. The spotlight is on. It's time to perform. The 8-9. It doesn't get any bigger than the 8-9 game at noon on a Thursday in Chicago. That's Keyshawn Woods' time. It is not Justin Arns' time. No. Justin Arns in the Big Ten Tournament played nine minutes, was 0 for 3, didn't score a point. I'm going to get a Team Luther shirt. You've got it. When he does something good, your tweet has to be a half step beyond Team Luther Muhammad. It doesn't though, because it's just I'm going to analyze. Get, he's tweet, gonna... tweet the analysis. Team Luther Muhammad doesn't mean anything. Oh, okay. Give me something. Give oh, me something. oh, there it is. I'm going to go into depth about like what it means to be a part of Team Luther Muhammad. You think he's going to be good? What else does it mean? Oh, yeah, but like, there's more than that. Freshman wall, man. It's constantly being optimistic about him, even when he only makes one of nine shots. Even when his body has completely <laughs> body has given broken yeah. into pieces because he's just an 18-year-old kid he trying forces, to find his way in the world. And he forces up contested jump shots in the mid-range area. All right, so officially my prediction is lose to Iowa State. Officially, officially, your prediction for the tournament is... And then we'll get to a couple of your basketball questions. Steven has his hand on his mouth. He's in deep thinking mode. I'm going to go out on a ledge. He's covering his mouth, which I'm he gonna, does sometimes sorry. in the podcast. I'm going to go out on a ledge and say Ohio State can win this game. I'm not going to put a score on it yet. You'll put a score on it when you do Yeah, I'll put a score right, on it. So you everybody. think they're going to beat think, Iowa State? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go out on that ledge. And then? And... You see this glorious path to Sweet 16? I didn't say it. Listen, I didn't call it a glory. I said there's a chance. You said it was lined with rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> I think that one's harder. I'm going to say if they get if Georgia State gets an upset, I think they're going to the Sweet 16, 100%. If Houston wins, I think... You want to pick them. Listen to this guy. I do, but like... See, this is, a, this is the deal. This is like... It's like, I'm the hater. Right. Oh, I don't think Ohio State's going to make the Sweet 16. Yeah. Good old Doug. Typical Doug. Making his picks. And Steven's like, I'm the new guy. I think they're going to win. I, th I think Houston gets them. I think at some point in that Houston game, if they get to the second round... That whatever is happening, whatever, you know, that mystical NCAA tournament magic kind of runs out. <laughs> I hate that, that so Keyshawn much. That Keyshawn Woods yeah, I think it'll do, magic. I think it'll run out. And right. Hater. I'm just telling that. Steven Means doesn't believe in the Buckeyes. Okay. <laughs> 937 Aaron on Twitter. What team has more success next year, the basketball Buckeyes or the football Buckeyes? Which team ends the regular question. season ranked higher? Oh, I think mm, that's a see. Look, well, look what Eric just did to you. Ooh. Eric just gave you a little rope. I thought about it, and then I remembered that that's a really good recruiting class, and this freshman class is going to be really good. 
That's in here right now. I mean, it's like if you think nine and three is on the table for football next year, if they're nine and three, and like they win their bowl game and they're ten and three, then they're gonna be like they're gonna be like the eighteenth team in the country or the twenty first team in the country. It's like could the basketball team finish Get higher like, than that? I think. Like DJ Carton, we're we're all everyone's up, hepped up about Luther and there, Dwayne Washington. There is a world where Ohio State could be ranked in the top fifteen going into the NCAA tournament. Just like there is a world where Ohio State football could lose three games and go into their bowl game nine and three. So I mean, like it's obviously it's a great question, but it's like impossible to answer. It's yeah, like, it's it's March. Um. But the point is, you think it's close. Yeah, there's a world where both of those things exist. So, like, there's a... And, and the thing is, with football, the, the the football... It's easier for football to get to its ceiling. Like, the yeah. football ceiling of, like, they go, like, 13-1 and one again, and they win the Big Ten, and it's like, Justin Fields is ready right now, and their defense gets fixed, and J.K. Dobbins has a great year, and it's like, you can see that, and it's like, they end up, like, third... Like they did this year. Yeah. Like that could certainly happen. Like I don't think they're like the like the way like Ohio State next year like gets to the final four is like voodoo. Like that's not you know what yeah, I mean? Cause... So it's like the, the the football ceiling is clearly higher next year. Yeah. But 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 like the chances, you know, is the I, floor I might be lower as lower as well. Well, but like the well, but I don't know even know if the floor is lower. Like, do you really think like like could basketball next year have this kind of season again, where they're like basketball next year? Okay, so they were the forty first seed in this tournament. Right. If Ohio State's like the forty first best team in college football next year, that is an issue. Yeah, that's what it is. Like with- so, whereas if they're the forty-first best team in basketball next year, they're exactly who they are right now, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, they made the tournament. So, I, like, I think the window—it's probably like a seventy-five to me, like a seventy-five or eighty percent chance that football is the better, is better, yeah. is ranked higher nationally at the end of the year. But to your point, you can see how if basketball is at its best and, it and football is at its mediocre. That the football team could finish nineteenth, and the basketball team could make the Sweet Sixteen, yeah, and wind up as the fourteenth best team. And basketball is technically higher when actually they're in the same zone. But like, I don't think there's any chance of like basketball's in the Final Four, the football's team seven and five. But there is a chance no. where the football team's in the playoff, and the basketball team is like squeaking into the tournament mm-hmm. or just missing it. <clears throat> Although if they miss the tournament next year, that'd be disappointing. Considering we've talked about how, what a good deal it was for them to make it this year. Um, Mark Roberts, at Mark44 Roberts. What's the expectation for the Hoopsters next year? Holtman is starting to make me believe in miracles with this year's tourney bid. Can we win it all next year? Take the NBA in 2021. And is Wesson going to be a bad actor again next year? Meaning like a guy who's going to have something that might take him off the floor because of off-court issues. Um, Do you have any reason to think that that this is sort of a one-time thing. It got worked out. Like it's all good. Or would do you think? You know what? Let's not even go there. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. What, we don't know what he did. So it, it's kind of hard to say sitting here and go, yeah, he'll he'll violate a policy yeah, again when and, you don't know what the and policy we're trying is. To, I mean, we're not going to like run down a yeah. kid. There's no proof that Caleb Wesson is any kind of 
continuing problem. This is not like there's there are zero like whispers of like oh this guy he's yeah. he just whatever he did he made a mistake and so that's all proceed with the assumption that it was that it was a one time thing because there's no reason to proceed any other way. He had his thing. He missed three games. They made the tournament anyway. Lesson learned. Move mm-hmm. on. Um, what do you think as you sit here right now? And this is reasonable enough to do. What are your expectations next year? This team was eight and twelve in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. and I guess let, just let me let's let's break it up like this. This is the easiest thing to do because the tournament's hard to predict and whatever. But would you expect them to compete in the top four or five of the Big Ten next year? Would you expect them to be in the middle pack, or would you expect them to be in the bottom third? Of the Big Ten, and I would say this year they were kind of on the border between the middle and the and bottom lower. pack because yeah. they clearly weren't in the top group, which was I would say the top group is those that those top three teams, Michigan State, Michigan, Purdue, were separated, mm-hmm. and then like Wisconsin and Maryland were still really good, mm-hmm. and then to me there's a drop off to it's those five, then it's Minnesota and Iowa are six and seven, and I think they're in the there the middle is very small. Because they were in the tournament. Nobody ever had doubts that Iowa and Minnesota were going to be in the tournament. Mm. And then you got to Ohio State's at the bottom of the middle as the last team in the tournament. Mm. Or they're at the top of the bottom as the last team in the tournament. I would probably just put them at the bottom of the middle. But anyway, are they going to be competing more with... So let's break it that. Are they going to be more in the Michigan-Michigan State-Purdue territory? Are they going to be more in the Iowa-Minnesota no, are they going to be more in the Maryland Wisconsin territory? Or are they going to be more in the middle? Or are they going to be more in the bottom? Iowa, Minnesota, five six is where I'll go. I think they're uh, the fifth or the sixth best team in the Big Ten. That was six and se- that was right. That was six. They were six and seven this year. Yeah. So you think they can't? Because I would say I think they could be more like Maryland or Wisconsin, which is like, well, listen, we're not going to win. What? But we could be, we could maybe be compete for that four seed to get a double buy, and like we're solidly in the tournament all year. They're gonna live in a world where like they might be good enough to beat a Michigan State Michigan team, which they were not this year, right? But also because there's, you know, they're gonna have possibly two guys who are freshmen who are starting, um, and another and Gaffney will probably like be in the rotation, and you know. They're gonna, they could beat Michigan, Michigan State, but then they could also lose to like a Northwestern, just because of like the inexperience factor of things. Mm-hmm. So like they'll, it'll look, which is why I say five or six, because they'll get quality wins, but then they'll have a weird loss where like you'll look back at it at the end of the season and go, how the heck did you lose to Northwestern, and yet you beat Michigan? Yeah, like that's I think well they're where they'll live at. For the majority of the Big Ten season. And then in the Big Ten tournament, I think they can get a deep run because they'll have gone through a lot of that. I think Carton is really good. EJ Little is is impressive. I've, I've seen a little bit of him. He's really impressive. Um, I think the development of this class, this freshman class that's here right now would be crucial as well. Um, but I do think that like they're going to have like a really good win but some really bad losses but then have a deep Big Ten tournament run. They'll definitely be better. Yeah. I think they'll definitely be better. And I think they'll be they'll be better in a way that a, a year from so Andre is the only senior next year. Mm-hmm. 
And Andre's like a glue guy. He's been a really good player for them. Um, but as long as like DJ Carton doesn't go pro after one year, two years from now, when they come back with everybody, when it's like Muhammad and Arns and um, uh, Washington are juniors, Carton and Gaffney and Little, little are, little. are uh, sophomores, whatever freshman that class is, There have. is a team that's then, like, okay, that's, that might be a top 10 team in the country. And, and so that's, and that I think that's the whole thing. It's like you would have the core of what could be mm-hmm. a Sweet 16 um, compete for the Big Ten title type of team mm-hmm. that you're going to see next year. Like right now, like that core is not here. Because like Keyshawn Woods and CJ Jackson and Andre Wesson are playing important minutes for them. And it's like, okay, well, you got Dwayne. You don't have like a rotational. You pass like it together. Three or four guys. Colvin. Oh, he said that like year two yeah. of a school is always like the toughest. This is the year where he's pretty much he patched things together. Yeah. So I think it's and all of this is like the bottom line. And, and we've talked and written about this is that this year is a, a very good reflection. We think on on, on Chris Holtman that like he's going to max. I think you can have a belief that whatever Ohio State is, Chris Holtman's going to get the maximum out of yep. it. As opposed to, for instance, the idea that Archie Miller did not get the maximum out of Indiana this mm-hmm. year based on their talent. So uh, I think that is a very good thing to have in mind. So um, is there something before we let you go, Stephen? What are you most excited about, about visiting Tulsa, Oklahoma <laughs> for the first time? Um, I'm always interested to see the type of food places have. Just because, you know, I'm I'm from Columbus, so, like, we don't, like, we do have, like, some food, like, things here, but not really, really, like, especially in comparison to other, so I'm interested like, in... Like, for instance, Columbus has, like, terrible pizza. Whoa! Oh, We're not going to get into a terrible pizza discussion, because, like, factually, Columbus has terrible pizza. Whoa! Like, it's not even, like, an opinion, it's just, like, no, everybody knows I, it. I don't agree with that, but we can get into that later. It's because you've yeah. only ever lived in Columbus. I've been to other places though. Like and every place you've been has better pizza than Columbus. But anyway, right. but we're not here anyway, to talk no, about the great That's pizza not, no. in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm excited to see to see some food places and just the fact that I've never been to o- Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I never thought I'd ever be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that's going to be interesting. Um, I've never been to an NCAA tournament game, so that'd be interesting to see. Nice. And I think you know, it's almost like. It was cool for me with the Ohio State Michigan game because that's like I'm from Columbus, but I've never been to an Ohio State Michigan game before. But I know like what that is, so that'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm just really interested to see what like the food is about. I'm all that's the first like I can I can make a judgment off of places based off of the food because if your food is bad, then like especially in a place that's not really a tourist city, if your food is bad, then like I'm just gonna assume everything else is bad. You know what I heard? I did hear they have a really good place in Tulsa. Um, I I'm not sure about the pronunciation. I think it's. Chili's, I think is how you say it. Oh my god! So, I'm also uh, like my least favorite thing in the world is like when this time of year everybody's like, "Hey, sports writers, you coming into town? Yes. Here's a list of bars and restaurants." So many emails. And I'm always that. like, I'm like, I don't know what world you're living in, but here's the world I'm living I'm in. I'm working. <laughs> Journalism is dying. I'm not here to eat a $50 steak on anybody's expense report. No. And they have chilies and McDonald's everywhere. So, like, I'm going to eat a boatload of pretzels in the media room while I write 14 stories on the day of the game. And then I'm going to go to McDonald's. This isn't a vacation. So you guys can go, hey, everybody, check out Sammy Joe's Bar and Grill, the finest iguana tacos in Tulsa. And it's like, I don't know when you're going to go to them, but I'm not going to go because I have a job in a dying industry. 
So, like, good luck. And I'm pretty sure they're going to have, like, media meals on game days. So, like... Yeah, for free. For free. So, like, yeah, I'll Where probably... Where you're working. Like, tomorrow, yeah, I'll probably... Like, while I'm sitting in Houston on a layover, eat a meal there... Like, but I'm not gonna go, go find a five star. I'm not on vacation. This yeah. is like I'm working. <laughs> I've been around sports writers who, uh, on the company expense account, are writing one tenth as much as me and eating food five that's five times costlier than what I'm eating. And I wanted to punch them in the face. Like, so, <laughs> hey everybody, <laughs> no. shoot me to the finest tacos in the land. I've got. A credit card burning a hole in my... Shut up. No, I mean like like some like, you know, affordable, like... A it's a job. $10, $15 meal. I mean, it's like it's... Like, that's you know, fine. I don't need anything more. We get that. it. We, we're fortunate to have these jobs where we get to do cool stuff, but we're there to work for you. We're not there to eat Tulsa's <laughs> finest tacos. I don't care so I don't care where they are, because you know what? Plain double hamburger, small fries, and a large Diet Coke is three thirty nine at McDonald's anywhere you go. And it's the finest meal in the land. Stephen Means, enjoy your time in Oklahoma. We will be back right after this with more football talk here on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're going to do a little rapid fire here with your football questions. Did not get a ton of Twitter questions this week. Either you guys are uh, running out of juice a little bit because it's kind of a weird time. Or you don't care what I think anymore. Okay, just like a weird thing, by the way. This is our this is episode one ninety seven. The way we numbered it, there was a while when we weren't numbering the post game podcasts as true podcasts. So we've actually already done quite a bit more than two hundred episodes. But for syndication um, logistics, we're coming up on number two hundred. This is one ninety seven. Next week is one ninety eight. The week after, obviously, if you are familiar with uh, numbers, is 199. And then the week after that is the week of the spring game. So our spring game preview will be episode 200. When we had episode 100, we had Marty Smith on um, from ESPN, who is a uh, loyal Buckeye Talk uh, listener and reader of Cleveland.com. But um, we've fallen off a cliff since then, so who knows who we can get? I'm just kidding. You love us. We'll try to we'll try to do something. We don't want to mess up the spring game preview, but it's episode 200. You get something for that, I think. I don't know what it is. Okay, let's get to a couple rapid-fire Twitter questions, and then we'll get to a couple of these old Gmail questions I was going through this week that are really good. Chase Richardson, my best friend in the world. Chase Richardson, Chase KR19. What are the chances you guys think that Day slowly phases out the H in favor of more traditional roads for the uh, running back wide receiver. Um, possible. I think we talked about that last week a little bit. Um, I, I think we got to look for a pro style evolution. I think we got to look for, um, you look for um, opportunities. You look for um, instances where you can be different. And we're getting to the point. It's funny. I think we have a question about this. Like, as Michigan is like going up tempo, they brought in Josh Gaddis as offensive coordinator. Jim Harbaugh talked about that a lot this week. They're trying to do something a little different. I think Ohio State might try to do something a little different, and that's by shifting back to some stuff. So I think that's possible that the H changes. I don't know that we're going to see a world where, you know, um, Ryan Day is recruiting Adam Homan. To be or Zach Boren to be fullbacks the way those guys were both recruited here to Ohio State to be fullbacks, but I think we want to look for opportunities for Ryan Day can get to get a little more to a pro style offense 
a little away from some spread principles in that you want to keep a defense spread out, but I think you can use personnel differently. I think we might look for two tight ends a little more. Um, maybe a little less H, not now, but in the evolution. We're always going to be on the lookout for the evolution. And then Chase is throwing me a bone because Chase lives in Orlando. He just got his Disney annual pass. And again, it's like, do you want me to do a nine-hour podcast? Um, what's my favorite Disney park? Mine is Epcot. Because um, why go to Europe or a foreign country when you can just go to Disney World and go to their version of a foreign country that is an Americanized version of a foreign country? My favorite thing in the world is the Americanized version of foreign things. Like, I don't want to go to China and eat food. I want to eat Americanized Chinese food. I went to Rome when I was in high school. I didn't really like the pizza in Rome. I want the pizza in America that we took the thing from Italy and then Americanized it up. And, you know, I want this pizza, just not Ohio pizza. But so, like, I don't necessarily, like, I'm not against going to, like, Germany. But I'm totally happy eating, like, a pretzel and wearing lederhosen in Germany in Epcot. So... I'm a strip mall chain restaurant guy, so like I'm a Disney guy. I'm the Americanized version of the world. I like the world. I respect the world. I just want the world to be Americanized and dropped on my doorstep rather than me have to go experience the authentic part of it. I'm more than happy to let someone else experience the authentic part of it, Americanize it, um modernize it, strip mallize it, and then give me that version of it where I can eat like kind of a food from that country. I can buy a t-shirt sort of like clothing from that country. And like I can uh, like uh, get like a little knickknack, like get a little bonsai tree. I don't need to go to Japan or China or I don't need to go to Italy or need to just, just want to buy like a I just want to buy like a like a fur lined uh, like a like a like a shirt with a fur collar from Canada. I don't want to go to Canada though. I want to go to Canada Epcot. That's like that really. That's a real window into me. By the way, that probably is like the best way I've ever defined myself. Um, I want someone else to go experience the world and then boil it down to the most crass, basic American version of that and present it to me on a platter. Um, with a roller coaster. <clears throat> Someone asked, what are the Marvel or Disney characters for Chris Holtman, Ryan Day, Larry Johnson, Greg Madison, Bill Davis, Jim Harbaugh, and Urban Meyer? And I'm just going to say this. I saw Captain Marvel and I didn't like it. And my family is mad at me. I didn't like it. I don't like the superhero movies, but I liked Black Panther a lot. So I was like, oh, I'll go to Captain Marvel. And then I didn't like Captain Marvel. So, like, I think I only like Black Panther, but, like, I don't care about Thor. I don't care about the Hulk. I don't care about Captain America. I don't care about Scarlett Johansson. Well, I kind of care about Scarlett Johansson, whoever she is. Um, I like Brie Larson as an actress. I don't, I don't like, need her, like, uh, you know, flying around in space with, like, a Woody Woodpecker flame coming out of her head. Not into it. So, like... We can do that sometime. I'm not going to do it right now because we're trying to do rapid fire. But I just would like to say that I'm a terrible person who didn't like, didn't like Captain Marvel. Uh, Eddie Vulich at Zadea. Our guy. Which players get more rest in favor of giving younger kids reps thinking of Dobbins versus Teague and Crowley? If you're talking spring, there's going to be some opportunities there. I think 
Ryan Day was asked about that at the start of spring practice. Urban Meyer always talked about that, like the 2000 rep club. Like by the time Taylor Decker is getting to the end of his career, or Tyquan Lewis is getting toward the end of his career, they don't need to be doing much in spring football. They don't, I don't necessarily have a ton of guys who fit that. They're so young on the offensive line. Like Jordan Fuller would fit that. He's already out for spring on the defensive side of the ball. It's like Okuda's a, a junior who's played a lot, but I think you got to rep him. I think you've got to rep the linebackers. I think you've got to rep Chase Young to some degree. So like, and I think J.K. Dobbins wants reps. Like you don't, because J.K. Dobbins wants to be better than last year. And I don't mean to repeat myself, but J.K. Dobbins was better as a freshman than he was as a sophomore. So to like, in the spring of his junior year, to be like, dude, take it easy. I don't know. I don't know that we're quite there because he's not a hundred percent sure thing of what he knows he's going to be able to give you and what you're going to get from him. He wants to show something this spring too. So I actually think it's a really good question, but I think there are not a ton of guys who fit that model this year. Whoop. Mikhail Ice. God, the loyal people are the loyalists, man. You guys who bring it every week, so grateful. Mikhail Ice. We know Chase Young is great, but how good is the rest of the D-line? Is it a small concern now that Bosa and Draymond Jones are gone? Yeah, 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 yeah. Draymond Jones, underrated. Always talk about the guys that you appreciate more when they're gone. I think it's possible Draymond Jones falls in that category this year. I don't know what Robert Landers and Davon Hamilton are going to be like in a pass rush. And, and just from what we saw early in Italy in camp, I'm not 100% sure like who the other guys in that mix are. Here's the thing, and I want to make this clear. Normally, what I would try to wait, and we would have done this podcast Wednesday evening after Pro Day. Pro Day is Wednesday. But because of the basketball tournament, I wanted to try to get this to you guys by Wednesday morning. So you have like a full day Wednesday, a full day Thursday to listen to this before the Buckeyes play their basketball game Friday. So uh, nothing has happened with football since we talked last, since they were on spring break last week. This week, this is what we're getting. Pro Day Wednesday. Thursday, we get to talk to linebackers and receivers. Saturday is the student appreciation open practice. We're going to get to watch a full two-hour practice, okay? That is going to be, like, super-duper valuable. So we're going to be able to – I'm actually going to be gone next week, and I was going to maybe not do the podcast, but i got to be able to talk about what we saw at practice. That's going to be important. Saturday, we're going to see a lot of stuff. We're going to get a lot of more sense of depth chart, a lot of more sense of how guys are, where Brendan White is, who are the defensive tackles that are in the rotation, what are the, what's the linebacker mix, um, how are the receivers rotating. We're going to have a great sense of that after Saturday. So next week on this podcast, I will do something, even though I'm going to be gone next week. i got to go on spring break um, with my family. I'm going to make sure I give you guys something because Steven's not going to be there Saturday because he's in Oklahoma. So I'm going to be the only guy there for us. So I've got to tell you what I took away from that. I'm going to write it, but I've got to talk it to you too. So I'll have better answers next week. But I think your your question, Ice, is a valuable one because I said Tyreek Smith is really important. I think we have to see how the tackles shake out. I think it's really interesting, but we've got to see it. Peter Capace. Capace. Peter knows who I'm talking about. Pete Capo is the Twitter handle. 
With Harbaugh's installation of Nova, more of a no-huddle-style offense, how much more important is it now that the Silver Bullets make a comeback from the Billy Davis era of inconsistency? Michigan has enough returning skill players that this could be a real point of concern in 2019. So listen, it's like one of those things. It's like, I think Michigan's good. I think Harbaugh's done a pretty good job. He has not done well against Ohio State. They blew it last year. They have some players. He's trying to adjust. People were making points that, like, just in this era, you've kind of got to almost almost have to have that hybrid outside linebacker that we're talking about with this new Brendan White position just to play against teams that are going to spread you out like that. So I don't know that it's about adjusting to Michigan. It's just about being prepared for the modern world. I do think Ohio State has a pretty good job of that, that they have players and schemes that can work against Wisconsin and Iowa, and then they have players and schemes that can work against Penn State or Maryland or any kind of you know Oklahoma um, Purdue, teams that are trying to spread you out. Now you can say, well, they didn't work against Iowa, they didn't work against Purdue the last couple of years. But they're able to adjust, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, th- they well do things where Tough Borland gets a lot more snaps against Wisconsin um, than he does against Purdue, right? They do some stuff like that. So I think, I don't know that they have to go to a world where, like, the hybrid linebacker is on the field constantly, um, but I understand the idea of they've got it, they, maybe they want to get Brendan White prepared to play that spot. Um, but I think they have options in personnel, and they've always been able to switch scheme, as all good teams do. You can't play the exact same scheme, and th- you know, obviously, 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 you guys know I'm not an X no expert, but we can break this stuff down. Playing Wisconsin is different than playing Purdue, and you've got to be able defensively to adjust. I always feel like Ohio State, because of the depth of their personnel, has been able to do that. So, like, I'm not super freaked out about like. They've got to have this because Michigan is changing. They just, when Michigan gets here, they might be like, well, now they're a little more like Purdue and a little less like Wisconsin, but we're ready for either of them. Adam, get a molar. Get a molar. We should revisit the Chicago versus New York style pizza. We need to know Stephen Means' thought about it. We will get Stephen Means' thoughts on pizza, but Stephen Means like thinks that Columbus has good pizza, so I think he might be a lost cause. So, like, I'm not sure I can have a New York versus Chicago pizza discussion with the guy who is, like, completely happy with the Donato's world. So, like, he's grown up in Columbus whole, his whole life. Like, that's just a reality. I understand that. Some of you have. Some of you, even if you've lived or grown up in Columbus or in Ohio much or most or all of your life, can still have an understanding that the pizza in Ohio is bad. But... We'll get into that at some point. There's a little bit too much going on right now, but Adam, we appreciate the question. Let me run through these. We're getting late. We're getting deep. Um, Where are the Gmail questions? Here we go. I start them. Oh, this one I wanted to do from Josh Abbey. Joshi Abbey. Really good question. If you could make it, this is a basketball question, but it's old time stuff, so I'm good handling this. If you could make a starting lineup of players from the Thad Mata era at Ohio State, what would it look like? Mine would be... Mike Conley, Aaron Kraft, Evan Turner, Jared Sullinger, and Greg Oden with either Deshaun Thomas or D'Angelo Russell as the sixth man. So I thought this out and wrote this down. And one thing is you can't play Kraft and Conley together. That's not enough shooting. You've got to make Conley your point guard. And Aaron Kraft in much of his career was a sixth man. So I'm bringing Aaron Kraft off the bench. And, like, that's no offense to Aaron Kraft, but, dude, it's Conley. So I'm going Conley D'Angelo in the backcourt. I think D'Angelo at the two there is really good. Evan Turner, 
who's a ball handling forward, but also who's going to do some things. He's going to need to have the ball in his hands a lot. There's going to maybe be some conflict with Conley and uh, and Turner in how much the balls are in their hand. The ball is in their hands because Turner, as we know, is a point guard. The year he was National Player of the Year, but he's got to play small forward here for us. And then Selinger and Odin. Again, there's a little overlap there. Jared was always happy getting out of the post. Um, so he could do that a little bit with Odin there. And then off the bench, I'm going Kraft, Lighty, Diebler, and Terrence Dials. Um, you get a really good team, right? I mean, you throw William Buford in there, Jaquel Foster in there. Um, really, you could you could really get, I mean, it's like, it's some really stinking good teams. Deshaun Thomas, you'd throw in there. Like, you could really get a really good 12-man roster. And you know how you can tell? Because they get together and they play in that uh, summer tournament every year. It's that team, basically, like plus Greg Oden, who almost was on that team. It's like the summer team plus Turner, D'Angelo, Conley. Because <clears throat> they're the only three who are like in the NBA right now. So anyway, that's a really good question. But I think the main thing is you cannot start Conley and Kraft together in the backcourt. Joshi also asked, great question. This is like a... It's such an interesting, it's like you could almost play a game with this. It's more likely to have a substantial impact next year. And it's like veteran you're uncertain about and younger guy you're uncertain about. So Justin Hilliard at linebacker as a senior and Haskell Garrett, who's not really a young guy because he's a junior, but he hasn't played that much yet. I'm like, great question. Because Haskell Garrett, I keep talking about Tommy Togiai and Teron Vincent because they're the second-year tackles who seemed to make an impact last year. Haskell Garrett, the third-year tackle, he's in there a lot. Like, Haskell Garrett could end up, like, starting. So I would say Haskell Garrett because I just don't think Justin Hilliard's going to be in that first level of defensive mix. He was in there sort of like in the middle linebacker when they were, they were taking early reps with Tuff Borland and Baron Browning. But if they're going to have those two – if they're going to keep Browning at middle linebacker, which I don't think they should do. But if they do, Justin Hilliard's going to wind up third there. I just don't think he's going to play that much. So I think he'll be a special teams guy and a backup linebacker. I think Haskell Garrett has a chance to A, maybe be a starter, but B, certainly be in a rotation. So I'm going to go Haskell Garrett on that. Ken with the question, Demario McCall is what I call a multi-back, someone who lacks ideal size for one traditional position but is too talented to not provide him a number of touches. Thoughts? I mean, like, thoughts are like, dude, it's DeMario. They've got to work him in, right? They've got to find a way. Third down back, throw it to him out of the backfield, hand it to him at times. I would prefer that he become the number two tailback. No offense to Master Teague and Marcus Crowley, but their time will come. DeMario's been waiting for his time. I think you can give him some between-the-tackle carries. I certainly don't think it should be a rotation. I think if Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins alternated every other series last year, I think you could get into a world where, like, in the fifth series, DeMario's at tailback, plus he's in on third down sometimes. That, like, maybe DeMario gets, like, two or three series a game as the first down tailback, but then the whole game he's situational. I think that's a world that would work for me, and I'm in on DeMario getting touches. A priority, well, it's like you got to get to Olave, you got to get it to K.J. Hill, you got to get it to Austin Mack, you got to get it to J.K. Dobbins, you got to get it to Jeremy Ruckert and Rashad Berry and Luke Farrell. you got a lot of options, right? That's always the deal here. But I think Demario McCall deserves to be considered with those guys, not an afterthought, more part of the offense than he's been at any part of his career. And anyone who listens to this podcast knew that was going to be the answer. He also thinks K.J. Hill is effective at his position, but overrated by the media and fans. And that will play true once he declares for the draft. Opinion on that. Um, Ken signs at the scout and says, love the show. Hope to get some airplay. Greatly appreciate your questions, Ken. Um, 
I actually think KJ Hill is like underrated because it's like I don't I don't know who overrates him because two years ago he led them in catches. Last year he was second in catches, and I don't know that anybody ever said that like KJ Hill's better than Paris Campbell. But like he's made some he scored the game winning touchdown against Penn State. He's made some really big like he has great hands. He's the guy they put back on punt. I'm actually curious if that changes this year. If Ryan Day takes a little more risk with the more high end guy. I think KJ Hill is is not going to be like a a dominant NFL player, but I think he's going to be like a third or fourth round pick and like be a solid player. So I I, I don't know that I don't know that he's going to be any different in the NFL than he is here. But I just don't think at the Ohio State level people realize quite how solid he is, like how solid his solidness is. So I, I would think he's still more underrated to me than overrated because I don't think anybody thinks KJ Hill is like a game-breaking All-American, but I think people maybe still forget um, how important he is generally to this team. Um, John Mackin, remember, this is the question he sent in on January 4th, um, and I just wanted to ask this question because I was going through the old questions. This is, this is a great question. I remember the podcast you guys did a few years ago, episode 14, December 7th, 2015. I think I was saying it's four and a half years, actually three and a half years, but it's we're coming up on the on the fourth season of doing it. No, the fifth season of doing it. We did it 15 season, 16 season, 17 season, 18 season. So the 2019 season will be the fifth football season we've done Buckeye Talk, but it'll be like we'll have our fourth year anniversary. He was. He says, we were talking about the future quarterback room. So he says, I went back and listened. Some of the conversation is hilarious in hindsight. The fact that Torrance Gibson equals a Braxton Miller-Terrell prior mix and that Danny Clark getting an Ohio State tattoo is a guarantee that he doesn't decommit. <laughs> However, Doug, you, Bill, and Ari did a really good job of calling the Ohio State quarterback rooms for, 20, 000, for 2016, 17, and 18, even calling the competition between Burrow and Haskins and whether a running quarterback was a requirement for Urban. With the recent news of Justin Fields, how about another podcast in the future of the quarterback room? Who's going to be the starting quarterback in 1920 and 21? Who will stick it out and who's going to leave? Signed John in Fort Worth, one of the 400 people who listened to the bad podcast back then. Tremendous. God, the fact that, gosh, the fact that you went back and listened to a podcast from December 17th, 2015 is just tremendous. Um, here's what I'm going to give you. 19 Fields, 20 Fields. And then 2021, I think, is a competition between Matthew Baldwin and Jack Miller. Um, that will be Matthew Baldwin's fourth year. So he would be a, a redshirt junior. And Jack Miller would be like a redshirt freshman. Assuming that Jack Miller, who is the commit uh, for the class of 2020, is a longtime commit from Arizona. Highly rated guy. They really like him. Ryan Day has been on him a long time. Ryan Day... As, as, as important, we've discussed it, as important as Justin Fields is for Ryan Day, Jack Miller is the guy I think who's really going to be like a defining Ryan Day quarterback. Um, so for Jack Miller next year, the room, sh if you think Justin Fields, I think Justin Fields is going to be the starting quarterback in 19 and 20, and then he'll be gone after his third year in college and will not be back in 21. So that means in, in 21, it's redshirt freshman Jack Miller, redshirt junior Matthew Baldwin. I'd probably lean Baldwin right now, but like if Miller's the real deal, that's going to be like a fascinating old guy, young guy competition. A fascinating guy who's waited his turn versus guy who's a really big recruit who came here to play. So I would not be surprised at either of them. I, at this moment, I would be surprised if it was someone else. 
And again, it's like, oh, let's have a quarterback discussion. Well, nobody would have projected. Nobody in the world was projecting. Oh, who's going to be Ohio State's quarterback in 2019? Justin Fields. Um, but they, like, Dwayne and, and Joe Burrow were only a year apart. So that, that wasn't quite as um, stark of an old guy, young guy. For Baldwin and Jack Miller to be two years apart, and that Matthew Baldwin, I think at that we're expecting at that point, to me, he would have been the backup quarterback to Justin Fields for two years, absolutely next in line. But how good is Jack Miller? So I'll take Matthew Baldwin for right now. I think they're set up pretty well. Like then it's like, well, then the next year, now you know, the, the hard thing there is like, well, what about 2022? Because now Jack Miller's in his third year. Jack Miller is not coming to Ohio State to sit for three years. But if Matthew Baldwin is back as a fifth-year guy who started in 2021, is he going to lose his job in 2022? So now all of a sudden Jack Miller's sitting for three years. I don't think that's the plan. I think Jack Miller like sitting for two years makes sense. But then do I think that Jack Miller in 2022 as a redshirt sophomore in his third year is going to beat out Matthew Baldwin who as a fifth-year senior would have been the starter the year before. That doesn't exactly make sense, right? So 2022, I think, is the most difficult one. And I don't know. I mean, we can't predict that. But I think they're going to be in decent shape. They're going to get some guys lined up here. And I think if they're lined up with Baldwin, you're not relying on Baldwin, who was a three-star guy, to play early. You're seeing if he grows into it to play late. If Matthew Baldwin's going to play, in my estimation, he's going to play in year four and five. I think that's great. Jack Miller is a guy I think who has potential to play earlier. Could he play in year two and three? Certainly. That's the competition. That's going to be fascinating. So maybe John Macon, um, three years in 2022, you can run back what Doug Marie said in March of 2019 and see if I'm any smarter than I was back then. Um, all right. I starred a couple other old ones that I wanted to get to. Here's one. Raquel. Raquel sent this and like... Again, I, there were some times I wasn't keeping up with every single email. At this point, I'm trying to read every email every week as they come in. Sorry we're going a little long here, but I wanted to get to these. Raquel. I don't have a question, but I do have a request. So here's the request, like more than two months late. Happy 36th birthday, Isaac Presnell. Isaac, if you're listening right now, just know that your wife loves you. And she sent a note uh, to one of your favorite podcasts um, to give you a shout out. And you have a tremendous wife and you unfortunately uh, have uh, poorer taste in podcasts than you do in Life Partners. Because your wife was on top of it and she sent this to us a week before your birthday. And now here we are two months after your birthday giving you a, a 36th birthday shout out. But I will say this, he's been listening to the podcast for quite some time and I occasionally listen to it as well. He loves Doug's crankiness in part because he has the soul of an old man like Doug. His taste in food is also questionable at times like Doug. So um, I wanted to acknowledge that. I apologize that we didn't get to it earlier. Um, there was a time there when I was scrambling a little bit and I wasn't as good as keeping up with the uh, Gmail emails. I'm trying to make sure I'm on top of them now. So thank you for sending that one. And those were the two that I really wanted to get to. I'm going to go back and hit a couple more of these um, old ones that we've missed um, and, and bring them back to you guys because there certainly are some that are worth um, – that are worth revisiting that we can get into because a lot of some of the questions are timely. Some sort of are 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 great because like they're not super timely because they're out there. You know, they're out there. 
Um, oh, here's the last one. This was the last one I wanted to get to. And again, sorry we're going a little long. But I don't want my plea for money to take up too much of the podcast. So I'm giving you extra. Damien Pereno. Hey, guys. This may be a better offseason question. And we're in the offseason. He sent this January 7th. But if Maryland converts that two-point conversion in November... How many of the following events still happen? Urban Meyer retires, Ohio State beats Michigan, Zach Harrison commits to Ohio State, Dwayne Haskins and Draymond Jones both play in the bowl game. It's been such a crazy chain of events in the past two months, and with all the momentum feeling positive lately, it's kind of wild to think how the program could be in a different spot if that one play goes the other way. Love the podcast, guys. Keep it up, Damian. Thank you so much for that question, Damian. It's a great question. And I want to answer it, but I also want to use it to make a point, and then we'll get out of here. Um... I think Urban Meyer was going to retire either way. Um, I don't think Urban Meyer was like necessarily like waiting to go out like on top because they didn't make the playoff. So like if they lose to Maryland, you know, like I, I don't know. Um, I think Urban Meyer still happens. Ohio State beat, beats Michigan. I think Ohio State still beats Michigan because they would have been mad. I don't think they would have been negatively affected for the Michigan game. Um, it's like they got a scare put into them against Maryland that made them realize like we've got to be better against Michigan. And they were better even though they found a way to win. It would have been – it's even more of a scare when you lose. I don't think they would have like been depressed after Maryland. But the main thing is Ryan Day had a plan for Don Brown, the Michigan defensive coordinator. Ohio State believed they had a way to hit that Michigan defense, and that was not going to change. It's the style of defense, the way they played man – that was not going to change regardless of the Maryland outcome. They believed they had a plan for Michigan, and they were working on that plan for Michigan. So um, that didn't change. Zach Harrison commits to Ohio State. I think Zach Harrison is Larry Johnson doing work. Um, I think actually Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer increased the chances of Zach Harrison. So if Urban Meyer is still retiring and Larry Johnson still being Larry Johnson – I think they get Zach Harrison still. And again, I don't think the Ohio State-Michigan result would have changed. So it's like, would Zach Harrison not come to Ohio State just because they lost to Maryland? I don't think so. And then Dwayne and Haskins and Draymond Jones both play in the bowl game. <coughs> it wouldn't have been the Rose Bowl. They would have had a second loss. No, wait, wait, wait. They still would have won the East, right? So they still would have... Um, they still would have gone to the Rose Bowl. Is that right? Now I got to look at the standings. Because um, they still would have won a tiebreaker with Michigan or Penn State. Gosh, I got to look. I can't even remember what the standings were. All right, let me answer this real quick. It's a great question. So they finished 8 and 1. Michigan was also 8 and 1. So Ohio State would have been 7-2 and two with losses to Iowa and Maryland. And then Michigan's only loss would have been, in-conference only loss would have been Ohio State. So Michigan would have gone to the Big Ten Championship game. And Ohio State would have been stuck in a lesser bowl. I think Dwayne Haskins is playing the bowl regardless because he'd never played in a bowl. And I just don't think he was that worried about the injury. I think maybe Draymond doesn't play. So in the, the final uh, analysis of this and Damien's fantastic question, he said the over-under is two and a half on how many of the following events still happen. 
Um, my answer is, and he has four, Urban Meyer retire, Ohio State beat Michigan, Zach Harrison commit to Ohio State, Haskins and Jones both play. I'll split that up to five. Haskins play, Jones play. I think four of the five still happen. I think the only one that maybe doesn't happen is Draymond Jones. Um, maybe Draymond sits out if it's not the Rose Bowl. So the point is, yes, one thing can affect a lot of things, but I think there's some 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 steadfast things in there that were going to happen no matter what. But here's the point. That's how close they were to losing to Maryland. And they're eventually they're, – whether Urban Meyer was here or not, they're eventually going to lose some games like that. Urban Meyer's not here, so he's not going to lose them. But Ohio State's going to lose them. It's weird that their two Big Ten losses lately were these blowouts to inferior teams. But what they haven't lost is lost – they haven't lost a close Big Ten game in a long time. But you think about the 2016 Michigan game, the last couple Penn State games, the overtime game at Wisconsin recently, this Maryland game. They're going to lose not just one but multiple of those games at some point in the next, let's say, three years. They're going to lose a couple of those, and all of a sudden – that's going to make them be nine and three, or ten, ten and two, or whatever. When they've been eleven and one in the regular season before, um, just be ready for that. And that's Damien's. The point of Damien's question is, it's such a razor thin margin, and sometimes one one loss can have a huge effect on what happens after it. Sometimes a loss is just a loss, and everything else stays the same. But you, I wouldn't give up on the program, or give up on Ryan Day, or lose faith in Ohio State football, if if just the, it's just. The worm's got to turn. You can't lose every. You can't win every overtime game. You can't win every close game. You can't have it that every time you need a first down late in the game you get it, or every time the other team has a chance for two point conversion they drop it or they miss it. Right. So they've. I've got to dig into this, but they've won so many close games. They're eventually going to lose some of those, and the program is basically. It's very possible the program is the exact same program just a different head coach and it's just the bounce of the ball and the result's going to be oh my gosh Ryan Day went nine and three or eight and four in one year and some of it might be hey they've lost a step somewhere but somewhere along the line the bounce of the ball the bounce of the ball didn't get them like at all in the urban era practically the bounce of the ball is going to get them and you guys have to be ready to roll with it all right think about cleveland.com slash Maurice. Think about this project text thing. Um, if you guys have questions, um, we can go over that. But like, if you give it a shot for three ninety nine a month and see what happens, uh, you put in your credit card and your cell phone number. It's going to show up in your phone like a text, and then it's going to like show up from a from a phone number. It won't be my real phone number, but then you can just like save me as a contact. Doug, loudmouth guy, annoying podcast guy. However you want to put it in your phone. And then it'll just show up from a tech like it shows up with your, from your friends or family. But it'll be about an interesting thing about Ohio State football that I think you'll care about. So if you guys want to try that, please make sure you're reading Steven's coverage from Oklahoma this week. He's flying to Oklahoma on Wednesday. He'll have full coverage um, Thursday and Friday. And then if they win Saturday and Sunday from Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Ohio State basketball team, I will be at Pro Day Wednesday, interviews Thursday. And on Saturday at the open student practice where we get to watch two hours of practice. So make sure you're reading my coverage from that at cleveland.com. And again, um, I'm, I asked a lot from you guys in this podcast. And we've kind of asked a lot from you guys recently um, in us sort of like whining about ratings. And we didn't read ratings this week. We got some good ones. We got some bad ones. Um, 
You are the core group that keeps us going. And this podcast, this Ohio State coverage at Cleveland.com, I've been doing this. This will be my 15th season. I've been doing this since um, 2005. been doing the podcast since 2015. And like, if you're hearing this right now, you are a select group of a core audience that is the reason that I have a job. Um, and so thank you for that. Um, whether you subscribe to this thing or not, thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. And thank you for being part of Buckeye Talk. And thank you for being part of my experience here uh, working for Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer and covering Ohio State football. So on behalf of Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>